0: what is up gypsy gang we are back for another episode of the gypsy tales podcast and this one is a banger uh it is with the number one homie justin brayton who is on an absolute tear uh this is a crazy cool podcast because i personally think that justin brayton has one of the more remarkable stories just in supercross ever uh he is a guy that has experienced almost every facet of racing he says it in the podcast and it's so true that at one point he was a nobody arena cross guy that just showed up with a pickup truck and his stepdad and they went out and he basically smoked everybody uh he got a fill-in ride for geico and the first time he rode their bike was the first time he ever rode a supercross track Uh, went from being a guy that couldn't get in the top 20 at a national to a dude that won arguably the most prestigious race in the sport uh, with Daytona Supercross he's just it's a crazy crazy story of a guy that just never gave up and I think it's equally impressive that for so long in his career he just wasn't a dude that stood out at all he's was so solid by the time he got into the 450 class in supercross he was a really solid guy he's always been in the top 10 in the top five on podiums and then to win a race but these last four years he's really carved himself uh, his own niche in the sport he is doing things on his own terms now by racing the australian supercross championship as his prep for the ama supercross championship he still does his races in europe and now Supercross only in the US on factory Honda, which is just, it's just crazy to sort of go from like a really kind of unassuming solid dude to a guy that I think a lot of riders are like looking over at him going like, hmm, okay, I need to get on that JB program. Uh, So yeah, an an amazing podcast. We talk more about life than racing, uh, which is kind of The thing that I almost enjoy more uh, when I do these podcasts. But yeah, a fantastic podcast with an even better dude. And I'm really excited uh, to bring it to you guys. Also, thanks to everybody that watched the YouTube premiere last night. I just tried something a little bit different before we went live on iTunes. Uh, and then, yeah, we're just going to get into some sponsors quickly, uh, going to give a massive shout out. And this is actually a bit of a congratulations more so than an ad, uh, to the guys at MX store who successfully moved their entire operation over the weekend. Uh, they outgrew their already pretty massive warehouse in Burley. They've just moved into another even bigger space, which I'm about to go and check out. So, um, more of a congratulations than an ad those guys uh, they're fantastic for our industry they're an amazing group of people um and yeah super proud to to have them as a sponsor so congratulations on the move guys uh, as always you can head to mxstore.com.au and order basically anything for your motorcycle or i would encourage you to go on their website find the address for their new showroom and go and check it out as i'm going to today Also got to give a shout out to the guys at Rival Inc Design Co, uh, one of our biggest supporters. Uh, I am just about to do my New Zealand trip uh, for the Supercross and then we're staying at Townley's house doing our Ben Townley tour. Uh, So I will be about to drop off a bunch of jerseys and my helmets... Uh, to those guys to get some cool stickers done up. Uh, They do, obviously, the graphics kits for your motorcycle, but they also have a pretty crazy... like product range when it comes to just general, like you know, helmet wraps, um, the jersey prints and stuff like that. So I'll be taking full advantage of that before my trip to New Zealand. You can head to rivalinkdesignco.com to find out more, and you can use the code Gypsy Gang or Gypsy Tales uh, at checkout to get fifteen percent off your order. Uh, also, got a got to give a shout out to the guys at Nobby. Uh, you can head to nobby.com and you can sign up for just twenty dollars a month. To the Undy Club. Uh, I will also be taking a bunch of those over to New Zealand with me on that ride. Uh, and last but not least, the legends at Boost Mobile. Head to boost.com.au. Uh, you can check out the best range of prepaid packages in Australia. Uh, that's not just my opinion. They've won a bunch of awards for that. And you can also buy uh, pre-loved phones in A1 condition off those guys for a uh, massive savings um, on... What you'd pay retail for a brand new one. So, boost.com.au for that. Uh, give us a follow on Instagram at Gypsy Tales Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're doing a ton of cool stuff over there. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, we had one of our biggest months ever last month, and I think that November will probably be our biggest month ever. Uh, so, yeah, just thank you to everybody involved. Uh, And again, thank you to JB, uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal dude, and I really enjoyed this three-hour chat, and I got a lot out of it personally, and I hope you guys do too. Gypsy gang. All right, Justin Brayton, we're finally doing it, bro. Yeah, here we are. Pretty excited. Thanks for having me. Nah, I'm, dude, super keen. I was thinking about it last night, that there were so many times that we would have walked past each other in the pits yeah. track walk you would have been talking to nate and like yeah. we just never really knew each other that well while we're, we're in the states or while i was in the states and it's like if i wouldn't had a crystal ball then to like think that we'd be sitting here having coffee and yeah, burley crazy, talking yeah. in the studio would uh yeah definitely would have surprised me that's for sure
1: yeah when we first started chatting uh, a couple weeks ago i guess um it's funny you mentioned names like nathan ramsey and then we just talk about Nate Dog for twenty minutes and then mention another and I'm like, No way, I was good friends with him too. And yeah. It's like one of them things where you're right, we probably passed each other a hundred times and, and um and now we meet and hang out and just so many things in common and and uh, our sport is so small, but yet again it's like we never Yeah. Hung out, you know, we never I never really seen you, you never really uh, we never caught up while you're in the States. But uh yeah, cool to be here and catching up now.
0: Well, it's cool, like I think that back then was different like from i was there from i guess like 2010 to 16 17 sort of thing and it's like i feel like in the last few years and we sort of talked about a little bit last night you've like found your identity like you sort of not that you would like blend in but it's like Mm -hmm. now you have like such a presence in the sport compared to back then which is super cool for a guy that you know, you were saying last night, like you were almost done. So yeah. it's like to go from almost being done to now, like really carving out the your own niche in the sport is super cool, dude.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I did kind of blend in, honestly. I was a third to sixth place guy almost every week. Um, you know, I rode for several great teams in that era. From 10 2010 was my first year in four hundred and fifty class for the JGR team. Uh, rode for them for four years. Rode for Factory Honda for a year. Um, but I was never the guy to, I was never the championship guy or the guy that really stood out. So I did kind of blend in. And then you're right in, um, in 2016, I was, it was either I was going to be done or I was going to carve out somewhat my own path of like, I, I love riding motorcycles. I love the sport. I love supercross. I love motocross. It's what I've loved my whole life. Since I was three years old, I couldn't stop watching, uh, supercross on TV like my parents would record it on the VCR and and it was Matasovic and and uh, Bradshaw and guys like that and then obviously McGrath and um, Carmichael and I just absolutely love it but what I didn't love was really the mental grind from from every weekend having to perform and even though I was I wasn't the guy winning every weekend there's still a lot of pressure to perform to be a, a fourth place guy or fifth place guy and get a ride for the next yeah, year well, it's just, keep just to keep your job kind of just to keep your job yeah and um thankfully I was good enough to where every year I didn't have to stress that much but I was like what like the the pay scale is different right if I'm an eighth place guy compared to a fourth or fourth or um potentially winning or if I could get that win then you're you're paid off the potential to win again and yeah so there's so many different uh ways to look at it and in so many different things that I wanted to achieve that it's stressful just it's so mentally stressful and I'm pretty hard on myself anyways um, put a lot of pressure on myself and I know my capabilities so I always wanted to yeah put in the most to achieve those goals and um, so yeah in 2016 during motocross I just I had had enough and I was, I was telling you this story last night but um, I believe it was 2014 Unadilla um, I had a pretty good day i was I was top five and and um, I left there and I called my wife at the time and um, or obviously still my wife but we had just gotten married in 2013 and I called her and i I was crying I was driving home by or driving back to the hotel by myself I had a fairly good day I believe I went five four or four five something like that and um, I was so fed up with it I was just like i I'm just in this revolving like just mess of Mm. I'm not happy I didn't like motocross that much to to be completely honest I I struggled with um and I I enjoyed the suffering part like the training of Mm. the of motocross because you can't hide on a motocross track 25 minutes in when it's 100 degrees outside you can't hide it's either you're in shape or you're not and I love that part of it but what I didn't love was we start riding supercross in September yeah start testing supercross in September then we do a few off-season races and and then we're at Anaheim in January and then I put all my eggs into supercross always have I love supercross it's what I'm best at it's what I enjoy the most so I would put all my eggs in that basket and then come May I'm like totally worked mentally physically everything and then guess what you get a weekend off well you don't really get a weekend off because you're testing and training and um, you know you're doing your 30 minute motos and you're trying to squeeze in all this stuff into such a small time frame and then you got to go line up at Hangtown which is it's like I've never enjoyed that track I don't know what it is about that place I, I think it's probably just everything combined with with yeah. the, the stress and, yeah. and travel and everything and then all of a sudden you got to go line up and then it's all summer of just completely grinding So, and even like not just the
0: racing Like I've said it before, like just the traveling, just being on a knowing. Like I used to dread Thursdays, Mm -hmm. that you'd have to get up super early. You got to pack all your shit. You got to get in the car. You got to deal with traffic. You got to fly. You got to deal with cancel flight. Like that, it's the whole production. (laughs) Like everything that takes place to go into those outdoors, and they're not in like. They're not in great places. It's not MetLife Stadium, no, exactly. you know. Like yeah. you get getting there, then you got to drive. Like yeah, it's a huge ordeal.
1: Sometimes find a gym if the hotel doesn't have a gym because you yeah. got to do a spin or a run or something like that. And then you got to go drive an hour to an autograph signing. Then you got to find some place to eat dinner, and then you got to wake up at five a.m. to get to the track by six thirty or so, or or do your morning warm up, and then it's a long day at the race. Like it's just, it's really really tough. And what people see on TV is just the <clears throat> the part of it that I wish I could only do, right? I yeah. wish you could just show up and race your motorcycle and yeah. it would be awesome. But it's everything from in between, which is why it's the hardest thing to manage, I guess. And it's what I wish the fans in our sport um, and and the media is doing a better job, especially with social media and everything. Now you can actually see what goes on. Well, now you can say what goes on yeah, exactly. in your own words too. Yeah, yeah. and it, so it's a cool time to to show the the fans and stuff and to have them, uh, you know, closer into your life. And, um, so yeah, I, have I just decided that year in, in 2016. So I, yeah, that uh, driving home from Unadilla and then I still did two years of motocross just kind of miserable Sucker for punishment. Yeah. Yes. But it's just what our industry has taught us, right? Like you have to be in that, that revolving circle of you got to race supercross and you got to race motocross. That was really the only jobs available. Yeah. So you kind of had to do it.
0: Yeah. The whole... The, the thing that's crazy is like everyone says the same thing. Like, and it's not like this is a 2019 thing yeah, where yeah. everyone's saying the same thing. It's like, well, I, don't, I just don't know why it hasn't changed or like where do, where do we go from here? Because it's like so many people say it and it's not yeah. dudes that have been little pussies and complaining mm-hmm. like it's the good dudes yeah. everyone says it. we lose like you're friends with jimmy johnson like mm-hmm. can you imagine if he retired at 27 yeah it'd be crazy what? yeah no ever yeah. never not gonna happen
1: yeah and nor do people want to like i'm 35 and i love it like i absolutely love it and i think if if people could take a step back or or try and create their own program like a like, you see RV now coming back yeah. in. Like, I don't know if he wanted to be done when he was done, but he was probably just so mentally cooked that yeah. he didn't really have a choice. Um, and then I honestly believe Supercross and motocross are like playing football and baseball. Mm. Like, it's it's two totally different sports. It's, to, it's different bike setups, which now our bike setups are getting closer and closer together, which they shouldn't be. That's a whole different story about the GPs and why the guys in the GPs, I think, are doing better than the americans in in motocross because it's so specific yeah um our 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 motocross settings now are just basically roll your supercross bike out of the truck and put some softer springs in the suspension and you're pretty much good
0: do you reckon that everyone runs (laughs) shit too stiff in america
1: for motocross yeah
0: yeah Yeah, because that just seems to be like the thing yeah like it's just everybody's bike is so stiff
1: yeah but we go once again we have one week yeah one week from supercross that we rode from september to may And now we've got one week to get on much softer suspension and then go to Hangtown. So you always, you always kind of show up to the first round too stiff because if you go from your really stiff supercross stuff to on the softer side, motocross, it's almost always like, man, this is way too soft. I need to go stiffer. I need to go stiffer. And then as you kind of get into the season, it's like, then you kind of find a happy medium. So yeah, I just think they're two totally different disciplines and, um, when I made that decision, like I I loved racing, I loved Supercross, but I knew that I had to make a change. And um, I just had had, I was married, I just had my daughter, and um, I wanted to create, I've always thought about it and always talked about it to my close friends, that I would love to do some sort of a global Supercross program. There's so many Supercross races around the world. Uh, one of my really good friends is Eric Pernard, who- yeah does Bercy and Geneva and the, the list goes on he's, I mean, the, he's, he's the man yeah. yeah he's the man um, so I had long conversations with him like hey what do you think would this work would it not and then I uh how the Australia thing came about was 2010 I came over for Yamaha and did the first three races so I was with JGR but I think someone at Yamaha Australia reached out to someone at Yamaha America like hey can we bring somebody over Uh, They asked me, I said, absolutely, I'm in. So um, I kind of fell in love with Australia then doing the first three rounds and just something different. And the whole vibe of this country is just awesome. Like I, I love being here. I love everything about it. So then when I left Australia and flew back to North Carolina where I was living, I met my wife two weeks after that. So Australia was really fresh in my head when we met. So we had always talked about it. So you had like the Aussie swag. You're like, I got it because of the swag. I (laughs) got it because of the Aussie swag. Yeah, exactly. So it was so fresh in my mind that we talked about it a bunch. And then when those conversations were going on, I'd love to go back to Australia. I'd love to go race that series again. But it seemed like the series was strong then, 2010. Then it seemed like it kind of took a dip. You didn't really hear a lot about it. Supercross anyways. And then it was kind of clawing its way back when... I got a message from Yurev Konsky, who runs the Honda team here. And just by chance, I uh, we were out at the beach um, in North Carolina, and I wasn't much of a social media guru at the time. I didn't even know you could send messages on Instagram. <laughs> so we're sitting on the on the patio, and that's because
0: you're super married. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: so my wife was talking to me about these messages that you could send or whatever, and I was like, "Yeah, I've never even seen those." So she gets on. I'm on. I'm like, Hey, where are they? And I just, I had tons of messages. Right. And the third one that was Yareev, who had just sent me a message like four days prior, three days prior. No way. So I just happened to click on it. And he said, um, something along the lines of, Hey, I run the Honda team. Would you ever be interested in coming over? And I was like, no way. This is like an amazing opportunity. This is, this is what we want. Like maybe I could do this. And then maybe do something in, the, in America with, with Honda or, or, or whatever. So the first call I made was Dan Bentley, who was the team manager of factory Honda at the time. And, uh, so what year was yeah, this, this was 2016. Yeah. 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 So I had just had a big crash at Washougal. Um, so I, I took, um, I guess I was out for a few weeks and it was kind of like the point of no return. Like I'll never, I don't want to ever do motocross again because all the reasons we listed before. Yeah, and there was a pattern of me getting hurt towards the end of motocross, like the previous three years. And I don't think it was what a chance that was. I think I was just, just so mentally tired. tired. Yeah, I was so tired that you got to be so focused at the highest end of our sport. Well, any to be the the highest level of any sport, you've got to be so focused, and and I just wasn't. I was going through the motions. Yeah, because I can imagine that, like if you haven't got the
0: championship on the line you're racing around for like Mm -hmm. what six in the series fifth in the series like what's the incentive there to really keep you on the ball right
1: exactly yeah it's tough um so yeah I had a big crash there so um there's usually a break after Washougal anyways there's a two-week break and so we had a beach trip planned and it was the perfect timing for it because I we had just sat down and um you know every night we'd just sit there and And just chat right and yeah we just said look i we've got to do something different and uh so i made that call to to american honda and they jumped all over it like absolutely we'll we'll support you really and um and then the balls just started rolling and literally a month later i'm in california on a honda uh at the honda test track we had um well and my mechanic brent at the time was working for me at KTM and um we sat down and I said, Look, I've got an opportunity to go to Australia, but I have nothing after that. I have no ride. But if you wanna have this once in a lifetime experience, we can go to Australia for three months. We're gonna do the I think it was a six race series at that time. Um you get to work on basically a factory Honda and we'll go to a um California for two weeks and ride the bike and then we're out. We're flying to Australia for three months and um, so yeah he he had an offer from several factory teams within the sport and the more we talked the more it was like man you only get one chance at this you only get one shot at being young one shot at traveling he had always wanted to go to Australia so that was a huge piece of the puzzle is to to have him on board because it's it's tough to show up in a different country with with a new mechanic and and different bikes and then Honda you know they wouldn't want just anyone working on their stuff and so yeah so he committed um then uh yeah the next thing you know we were in australia we shipped everything from america and um we were racing over here it, w- it was crazy it was a crazy couple months of of my life and then still not having anything in america so when i left um america to fly to australia i had no ride no nothing i knew something would come about yeah but i knew that i wanted to somehow start this program and somehow and even if i didn't get a ride in america i was fine with it i was like look i'm gonna travel the world um and we'll see what happens so in your
0: head like even if you didn't get a ride in the u.s you thought like i'll do the aussie thing hopefully i can win that championship there'll be Mm -hmm. some bonuses or whatever that come with that and then i'll just do races around the world that i want to do and just sort of chase the prize money and the appearance fees and stuff like that
1: pretty much yep and um, thankfully I had enough saved up to where obviously I couldn't just retire and sit on the couch for the rest of my life, but I was comfortable enough to, to have a few years or to figure it out, to figure out what's next. And, um, and I know that I'm big on, you only get one, one shot. You only get one chance to live this life and I want to enjoy it. And especially yeah. when I had these opportunities like the one here in Australia with your Reeve, I wanted to take full advantage of it and I didn't want to sit there and, and just kind of sit around and mope around and wait for something to come up in America. Because honestly, Supercross only rides in America are few and far between. Yeah. Um, so when the talks were kind of going on with Honda, uh, in one of the conversations with Dan, he said, so what are you doing when you come back to America? I said, I have no idea. I just know that I want to do this in Australia. And he goes, well, we want you on Hondas when you come back. So one thing led to another. They had some support uh, ready to give, like they needed or wanted another team. So we kind of put our heads together and said, all right, there's a list of four or five teams. Um, Let's make some phone calls and let's see which one would fit me the best and Honda the best. And it ended up being uh, Mike Genova and and Moto Concepts. They were the kind of the perfect fit. Obviously, came with some baggage and some, um, you know, I don't even know the right word for it. But there, there was some drama, I guess, surrounding those teams. So I was a little hesitant. Honda was a little hesitant. But in all the conversations I had with Mike, I had with with uh, Genova, they were awesome. He like, seems like a really good dude. He's like such every, a good guy. I've
0: only ever heard good stuff about. He's him. He's a
1: great guy. And my parents always taught me, like, don't ever judge somebody by how someone else has judged yeah. them, because you never know so that's how i went into it and um it it all came together while i was here in australia while i was racing over here i was on the phone working deals and um kind of my own agent and and playing that role of between honda and Genova and then myself and so yeah so they ended up you know obviously now we know the story but they was the big hang up a lessee was that like the one of the big problems that was with a few sponsors but not really no not really um no, he's actually a pretty good dude too. Tony's really. a good guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's very misunderstood guy. He is misunderstood. I think where the most drama, I guess, comes in is with with his own sons. Yeah. Just because, and now me being a father, I kind of get it. I mean, that's that's an extreme side <laughs> I was gonna of it. Say, that's taking it. To yeah, really. it's taking it to a whole nother level. But I could kind of see where he's coming from a little bit. And if you know their whole story, the Alessi story. It's crazy. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. Of basically, if we don't win this race this weekend, we're not eating next week. So, kids, you have no choice. You have to go win the race. So, we're gonna do anything we can. We're gonna cheat. We're gonna do this engine. We're gonna do that engine. We're like, it's pretty crazy. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> that's a, I mean, it's movie, it's eh? wild. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, I had nothing but great interaction with Tony, and that's the one guy. He's. I always said he's a racers team manager. Like, and what I mean by that is he'll do anything to make your motorcycle competitive enough to go win the races or to the best of our capabilities within the team and that team structure to go do the best we very can. So, um, yeah, so then we landed. So they ended up hiring Brent as well, who was my mechanic um, that went to Australia. So the the pieces of the puzzle were just really falling into place. And it took... You know we had a short amount of time to do it Um, but yeah just it all came together and and, uh, like I said with Honda and Moto Concepts and then ended up winning the championship over here Uh, so that kind of set me up and gave me some confidence for America Uh, there's something about a Honda that has just always fit me I grew up on Hondas and there's just something about me on that motorcycle that I just gel with and I picked right up where i left off uh, in, in 2012 on that bike and yeah kind of the rest is history
0: what was it about australia that you just were so into because like i've got a lot, a lot of american friends where if they can't get their dunkin donuts and if you know what i mean like they just like when we we're, we're, were in, in costa rica box, huh? <laughs> when we were in costa rica with carmichael he was just looking for every hard rock every like just everything american that he could get and it's like that's I would say that is most Americans. So yeah. like to hear a guy like you that just like loves coming to other countries and living in other countries. Like, yeah. why, why do you think that you're so different in that? Because I'd say that's an outlier for an American.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really know. I think it's part of it is my age. I've got to experience a lot of different things. And um, I think the older I've gotten, the more I have an open mind to stuff uh, and the food, like I'm I'm kind of a foodie and and I love trying different foods. You guys have some amazing food here. I love all the little vibes of the the coffee shops and the cafes, yeah. like I love that vibe. It's, and like, it's like culture, and yeah. It's so cool. We don't really have that in America. No. And uh, I've never been a huge fan of the beach, but my wife is like she would just pitch a tent and live on the beach for the rest of her life, like she'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> and she's kind of taught me really to enjoy that like I I, it's hard for me to be still yeah so and on the beach you don't really have a choice like you can't just be running around and jumping in the water and there's not much to do other than be still and and kind of be in the present moment so I've kind of learned that especially now that we've had kids it's so fun just to be on the beach and hanging out and just not really doing anything yeah and then hey I'm gonna go grab a, a coffee up at the cafe right across the street and it's just the whole vibe here is is awesome and i really enjoyed the people here the people really genuinely like americans and with as much traveling as i've done like europe's not like that no it's just not like it's that it's bizarre right and it's crazy yeah so when you go to a country that is welcoming and and they hear your accent and oh so where are you from and it just it opens you up to a whole different perspective of other places and and it's just enough like America but it's yet so far away from like America that it's awesome yeah it's so awesome obviously there's not a language barrier uh there's a few words that you guys use that I still don't understand (laughs) (laughs) uh but it's so similar but yet it's so different and I I love that about it
0: I always thought that when I moved to America that it would be just like plug and play like Mm -hmm. I'll just be me over there and like I guess I was me over there but everything was so different to what I thought and and I was like, man, there's so much more of a cultural difference. And especially, I think, in, like, humour. Like, mm-hmm. I think Australians have a pretty yeah. fucked up sense of humour yeah, at, yeah. at times. And, like, there was, definitely, there was definitely some places where I felt like I just stuck out like a sore thumb. And I was like, really? Like, I'm just sort of being, <laughs> you know, being yeah. myself. But there yeah. is a way bigger cultural gap mm-hmm. than what you think. But it's still the same in a way. Like, yeah. you can still just function as a human. For sure, yeah. Without having to deal with any of the other BS in, yeah. like, a country that doesn't speak I the I think language.
1: America's just more uptight. Like, everyone I've met here in Australia, it seems like... I mean, you could be in the elevator at a hotel with some random people, and, and they'll joke with you about something or say a joke about your kid, or it's just... It's funny humor. Yeah. Where America, some places, if you, if you did that, it'd be like, you'd get such a dirty look. And, yeah, I think they don't take themselves as serious over here, where America just seems like everyone has their, their destination where they're going that day, and that's the only thing that matters, and get out of my way, because I'm going to that. They don't enjoy anything from A to B, where here, it's like breakfast people enjoy, like they're just in the present moment, I believe, more than Americans. Not saying all Americans are like that, but the majority of places you go, it seems like no one's really in the present moment, And that's what I've enjoyed about here because I wasn't like that. I really wasn't. I was so focused on my racing and that's the only thing that mattered and get out of my way because I need to go get X result this weekend. And that was going to be my whole identity was that number that I got on that weekend, Yeah. which sucked. It sucks living like that because if you have a bad weekend and you get eighth and you got to live with that the whole week, it's just not fun. And your
0: self-worth is tied to that number. Exactly,
1: exactly. So... I've always tried to, I have a ton of friends still back home where I grew up from. That's I'd say 95% of my friends that I talk to are my friends from high school or cool. friends that I've grew up with. because my identity's not tied to, yeah my result on the weekend. I can call them, we can have a conversation. Uh, they know me as a person before I was ever a racer, where in racing, you're so tied to that result and that's a that's really not a great situation to be in and honestly Mike Genova has he was big on that that he didn't care the result he really didn't of course he wanted to do well but he wasn't going to treat me any different if I won Daytona or if I got 12th at Anaheim like he really wasn't and that's what was cool because almost every conversation I've ever had with him we talk on the phone for anywhere from an hour to three hours. I know that when he's calling, I'm like, all right, I got to set aside some time because we're going to have some deep conversations. It's never about racing. It's always about life. And I love that. I love talking about being a parent. I love talking about being a better person, being, um, it's fun to talk about being a better racer, but not just on the track. It's fun to talk about what's going to make me a better racer doing these things away from the track or mentally not worrying about that so much, or like that's where the past four or five years have have really taken me is really not not being so concentrated on the number that I got on the weekend, but more my effort and then how and my happiness. That's really where the super cost only thing came from was I can control my happiness. Well, you need to take control of it because you're only yeah. here for a short amount of time, and if you're just going to be stuck in this miserable you know circle of oh i got third this weekend so i'm stoked and i'm happy and my life is better then all of a sudden you get seventh and your life sucks like yeah. i hated that and i wish more kids didn't have to live that but i know it's a reality it's a reality of sport but i think there's a different way around that and and certain things you can focus on and and not be so in that mess
0: did you start to Did you just have, like, a change of thinking just about being, like, a a human in general as opposed to just, like, being a racer? Because the one thing with you that is, like, really striking is just, like, you know how you were saying last night, like, you feel like the Aussie dudes don't have an ego. You literally don't have any, like, shred of an ego at all. And it's even, like, last night we were talking and the conversation got... We got into like, yeah, talking about Charles and people we knew and Jay Wilson was there and like he was in the combo and you literally circled back to like make sure he was included back into the combo. Like yeah. that's the that's the hallmark of a person that with like a lot more going on than just like one dimensional race. Like you that's yeah. Like that's really thinking about other people and you're in these, you know, social circumstances like that's not yeah something that is common for a guy at your level I don't think
1: yeah I think just because I've been I've lived it with with an ego and it doesn't work so there was a point that you did I think so I think you I think there's some truth in in to be at the highest level you kind of have to have some sort of an ego Mm -hmm. but you can detach from that and I don't think most people can detach from that because trust me when I line up I call it ego call it confidence call it Cocky, I don't know what the word is for it, but I don't want to lose. Like I, I'm just as competitive as the next guy, but detach from that. Like you don't have to act like that away from the track. Like when your helmet's on, okay, act a certain way and do a certain thing. But I, I'm, I, that has changed in me. I would say, um, when do you reckon that was? Or like when did you even become aware of it? I would say 2010 when I first signed with JGR, uh, I met a guy, um, Kind of in and amongst some friends in North Carolina, um, a guy named Ryan Kelly, who's who still helps me today. We're business partners in, in a few different things, and um, he really just kind of made me aware of kind of how I was acting, um, how, and also actually uh, Steve Hudson. He was the the chaplain for Supercross and Motocross at the time. Yeah, he would come to the JGR shop every Monday, and and uh, so between those two guys, they and, and I knew I had some sort of call it an issue or, or whatever, but I think it was just how I was raised and we've always got, we've, we've all got our stories, right? Um, so it just got to be deeper for me and I got to look at, you know, certain things and, and I was, I was a pretty, I wouldn't call it negative, but I was self-centered. I was, um, I had kind of a negative attitude and, and I was so just like we said earlier just so focused on that one thing and that one result like man take a look around like you've got an amazing life yeah and I think if you focused on how amazing your life really is you might actually do better at the race yeah rather than be so just stressed all the time um and then of course I, I met my wife Paige and and you have kids and uh, I started to read a lot, started to read books on psychology and why I'm acting certain ways and the childhood kind of reflex on, on the way you were raised and, yeah. um, yeah, just everything started to take a deeper look into yeah. myself. And cause there was days, like I said, when, when I'm so focused on that result and you had bad results, I hated the way I felt. I didn't know how to get out of it though. I really didn't. I didn't know how I like how that eighth place. How do I, how am I not miserable? Like how, when I get on the plane the next morning, how am I not miserable from Sunday to the next time I line up on Saturday? Because I knew I didn't like that. And then, yeah, so things just started to change since then. It's a lot of work, to be honest. I mean, it is a lot of work, but gosh, it's so worth it when you can just be a little more free. Yeah. And there's times when I still get stressed and, and i've got a family to support now i want to make them proud i want to make them happy but also know that it doesn't matter if i win the race or get 12th or or what or if i don't race at all Mm. that's what's cool is is the people i have around me now they don't they just want me to be happy and that was kind of my my or what i what i set out to do with with ryan and and um so what what does he
0: do like, does he have any background in yeah, that? Yeah, he has or? a
1: psychology background. Yeah, okay. Um, but he's just kind of a life coach. Yeah. Kind of a... I know people laugh at that term, but I actually think it's really important to have... Or a mentor or life whatever you Yeah, I think coach, men- yeah, you yeah, mentors are definitely... Yeah. A, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he definitely taught me a lot. And there was times when I would fight back, like, man, I'm not doing that. Like, that's...
0: It's hokey and weird. Yeah, and yeah,
1: yeah. But none of it's weird. Like, all of it was just... It's such basic stuff. Like we actually talked about that on the way over this morning is when you start to search and look for like just crazy weird stuff to make you happy or or even on the motorcycle like or the training side of it. Yeah. Like I see some people do just some crazy weird stuff that, man, you're just searching because almost always the basics, the basics of life, the basics of relationships the basics of riding a dirt bike it's usually what works and you hear a lot of people say oh man I just got back to the basics well why you're up why were you out in left field searching in the first yeah. place you know so it's I think it's always good to have a, a mentor or some friends that you can kind of bounce different yeah. ideas off of or or people that can see life through a little bit different lens than you're looking through because um, yeah we can get caught up in it and um my wife's helped a ton we can really separate racing now she doesn't she doesn't not saying she doesn't care she obviously cares about my racing but yeah she doesn't care you know yeah, what i mean like yeah. she could care less if i you know yeah she just she cares. just, cares. just, wants, she just me wants me to be happy. be happy about exactly. it
0: yeah. yeah yeah it's funny when you say that like we jay reinenberg he's definitely jay's one of my guys where like even though he's i think he's a year younger than me even but he's just the way he was raised he was raised so different to me he was an only child and he spent a lot of time with his parents who were super smart and like i leaned on him for a lot of stuff and like mm-hmm. he he would always say man like you get people that focus on 1% to try and fix the 99%. Yeah. as opposed to the people that would put the effort in the 99% mm-hmm. and then who cares about the 1%? yeah Like it it just doesn't matter that you've got what brand of uh BCAAs you've got over, yeah. you know? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. because it's like if yeah. you've done the 99%, right? yeah Yeah, it's sort of the rest should just follow right Mm -hmm. but it's it's sort of more sexy to follow like weird shit around Mm -hmm. and like hire some weird guy because you could kind of see that with like Conor McGregor like you I don't know if you follow fighting or whatever but Not it's much like, but as bit, he yeah. got to like the top of Conor McGregor he started doing like animal movements and like all this like super weird shit and you're yeah. like bro all you've got to do is knock this dude out yeah like yeah. I don't I don't know that it, you need to mm-hmm. walk around like a leopard for nine minutes yeah in the morning yeah kind <laughs> yeah. of like it.
1: the diet thing right like everyone's searching for the next new diet well it's really simple yeah. eat clean eat your vegetables eat your fruits like it's not rocket science, but everyone's looking for the easy way out of what's going to work or, all right, I'm going to follow this one for two weeks. And then, then you're not going to follow that anymore. And the same with training and it's kind of same with everything where, yeah, just the basics, man, just get back to the basics and don't overcomplicate stuff and just try and be happy. Yeah.
0: Do you have like, like, uh, basics of life? Like if you could write a book that would be like Justin Brayton's Life 101 Basics, <laughs> like what would be like your go-to that you've kind of figured out that works for yourself nowadays?
1: I think the biggest thing with with almost everything in life is communication between people or your spouse or your, your team or, or whatever it is. If you're not communicating – <clears throat> by how you feel, or, or it's with every like for my wife and I, if we don't communicate, this stuff gets off off track, you know. Yeah. And I'm not one to communicate. That was my biggest struggle in the beginning. Was I'll just hold it in. Yeah. And then one day I might explode, or I might just start acting a little different, or yeah, or whatever. So What do you reckon that was? I don't know. I I really don't. I I think it's just yeah, just because I've I feel like I've done it myself in my way like I've gotten yeah. here by myself and I've never been one to rely on someone else for something because a I bit didn't want a control want freak you
0: reckon with yeah that a little bit stuff? yeah yeah
1: for sure yeah because I've never wanted to have to blame someone else if it didn't yeah. work I want to look myself in the mirror and like is because of you yeah and also I wanted the six suc- like the success yeah to come because of how I did it or the way I did it and like the trainer thing like i i trained i've had a couple trainers but not to the extent where they control everything because i've never wanted to not get the results or not be in the shape that i think i needed to be in because of someone else yeah. i struggle with that i yeah. really do uh once again it's not that difficult to be in good enough shape to do 20 laps on a motorcycle it's just not it's, yeah. it's people overcomplicate it and so if if I was doing doing certain types of training. I'm paying someone sixty grand or eighty grand to train me a certain way. I would never want to have that excuse of, "Oh, he trained me the wrong way," or "Yeah, I was lifting weights because he told me to, and I shouldn't have been." Or on this day or that day, or and not saying my way's right by any means. I mean, but at least, it's, but at least I had myself to, yeah. Yeah, to be accountable. Yeah.
0: The thing that I feel like with me is that I'm so it's so much easier for me to be like really pissed off at myself than someone yeah. else. Yeah. So I think that's what like my control freak. So mm-hmm. i like, I'd rather grind myself into the ground yeah. work and then pass it off or whatever yeah. to so somebody kind of else. Yeah. Because yeah. like, but I, for me, I think it was more like, I just, I just don't want to be mad at other people. Mm-hmm. Like I just found it way easier just to be mad at myself. Yeah. yeah. But then I feel like that comes with some,
1: some baggage with that yeah too, there's some yeah.
0: baggage there mm-hmm. when you get in a pattern of like being bummed on yourself yeah if that makes sense
1: yeah and with a lot of things in life you have to learn to trust other people right and that's tough for me as well it's tough for me to trust people I think with you know stuff that happened maybe in my childhood I just didn't I didn't want to trust anybody so then I just I'd do it myself I'd train myself I'd take care of literally just try and do everything myself and. I'll still find myself in that trap a little bit like, all right, well, if they're not going to do it the right way, then I'll just handle it myself and make sure it's done the right way. Even though I've got 15 other things to do today, I'll just try and get it all done. Yeah. And even whether it's racing stuff away from racing, whether it's parent, like just anything I I get that way. And I know that's, it's a strength and a weakness though. So I have to balance it out.
0: What was it like for you growing up? Like how did you get into racing, and was that, like, kind of hard to make happen, or?
1: Well, I grew up in Iowa, so you can only ride for about six or seven months of the year anyways. Yeah. Which is, I believe, why I'm still racing now, but... Um, so, yeah, my dad got me into it. He he rode just kind of casually and um, bought me a bike for Christmas when I was three, and I started racing when I was four, just, like, local fairground, and my grandpa would take me riding, and, and um, then my parents split when I was believe around seven or eight. Um, so I always had a bike in the garage, but I just never really had anyone to take me. So yeah, played baseball, played football, wrestled, kind of did every other sport. And then my mom met my stepdad when I was uh, around 12 and he had a four wheeler. So he would take me riding. We would just go really just cruise around. And I was terrible. Like if people saw me ride (laughs) when I was 11, 12, 13, they would just, they would just laugh. So he started taking me riding, and then um, he bought me a, a CR80 and kind of just started going more and more and practicing. And then he was like, all right, let's go do a couple races. And and next thing you know, a couple years later, we're at Loretta Lins, and I was top five in the 80 class. And we had no idea how good or bad I was. We were just like, all right, we've heard about this race called Loretta Lins in Tennessee. <laughs> heard about it we're going to borrow people go yeah we're going to borrow a friend's motorhome and a trailer and we're going to go down there and check this place out well i ended up getting fourth and so i think that kind of sparked an interest for my parents they uh for my mom and stepdad shad was like all right we're gonna give this kid everything because he loves it so much and the biggest thing that shad my stepdad would always teach me is look we'll give you everything we make we'll max out credit cards we'll do whatever if you're going to give it a hundred percent and they saw how much I truly loved it because I mean I did that's all I wanted to do I did play other sports all through school but were you good at other sports I actually was yeah like that's it my friends laugh because I can go play golf tomorrow and shoot an 80 and and not have played for you know a year and a half um or just kind of every like funny Ramsey story is he, uh, he talks about ping like pong. That, for, he's like that. He is so. So when he good would come sports. stay with me in North Carolina, we'd play ping pong. And I've never seen him so mad because I would <laughs> just, uh, if we played 100 games, I'd beat him 98. <laughs> and he hates it because he's actually pretty good. <laughs> he's good at everything. Yeah, dude. he's the same way. So um, yeah, but it's the one thing that I always, that like, riding motorcycles trumped everything else yeah i did everything because i liked it and do you reckon it. that
0: there was a part of you that like that whole control thing to where you just didn't want to play team sports
1: yeah i do yeah yeah and that's why i loved wrestling so wrestling was kind of and growing up where i did in iowa that like wrestling you, you yeah midwest or that. yeah you need yep. to be a wrestler that was like i don't know if you heard of dan gable but he yep. was the um one of the best wrestlers ever and is that why they call from, it a gable grip yeah yeah, do that. Yeah, all yeah. That. That's from from Dan Gable. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Uh, so he was the coach was like, oh, at I'm University of Iowa, and yeah. obviously a, a amazing wrestler. But um, so how yeah, far did you was, get into wrestling? Um, like, did you do it like pretty cool. serious? Like you yeah.
0: were doing like nollie Wade cuts and shit. For oh yeah, competitions. Oh, yeah, you remember that stuff?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. We were just telling that story the other day. Um, how, what was that like? I loved it. Yeah, I loved that. I, I mean, I loved. The, if you like to
0: grind wrestling is wrestling's the sport. it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you'd be, you know, eight or twelve pounds over and gotta cut that weight and how were you doing plastics. back then,
0: like the plastic bags and just jogging yeah, around? Yeah,
1: plastic bags. But also one of my friends had a he had a sauna in his basement that we put a, a bicycle in and he had a a boxing bag as well. Yeah. So we would just sit in there and cut weight or go to the local Y M C A, it's like a gym. Yeah. And sit in a sauna and then run and yeah, it was crazy. There's something cool about
0: like the the bond that you've got with guys in totally, like the wrestling in the room because yeah. you just mm-hmm. like i i think like some of the boys here even get a bit pissed off for, like how much time i spend with my jiu-jitsu yeah. boys be, but it's like you don't get it like yeah. we're fucking bashing <laughs> each other like yeah. there's such a like a mutual respect that you get and mm-hmm. then when you know the boys are cutting weight you want to go in the sauna with them or yeah. when they're you know getting ready for a comp like you'll just be a punching bag Mm -hmm. for them like there's a cool bond that gets formed. yeah
1: yeah and it's why most people when they retire from sport or whatever they're doing they always say hey what do you miss the most i miss the boys like Mm -hmm. i miss the locker room i miss the track days the long test days like you'd miss those things you don't miss the races that you win or have won or you don't you don't really miss those days you just miss the camaraderie like i know the one thing that i'm going to miss the most is the test track days like just hanging out with the boys and you're doing motos together and it's just so fun so fun um but going back to the wrestling thing i remember nights when i would get home from wrestling and my mom would have a can of green beans like that's all i could eat was just that can of green beans because i had weigh-ins in two days or whatever it is so uh yeah just interesting times and um but that was my favorite was was wrestling because it was so similar to moto yeah it was really simple you work this hard you're gonna get this result you work this hard you're gonna get that result yeah and moto or i i guess business or life is kind of that way anyway Yeah. but those ones you couldn't hide you couldn't like if you played baseball you yeah you might strike out four times in a row and you might miss a catch in the outfield and you might still win the game and you're yeah. still celebrating. Well, you didn't do anything to win the game. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't really like that feeling. Or you could be the opposite. I could hit four home runs and make some crazy plays and you might lose the game still. So yeah, it was totally out of your control where wrestling, or like you and jiu-jitsu, just straight up yeah. one-on-one. You can't hide. If you've done the work, it's going to show. If you haven't, um, same in, a, in Supercross. You know, the last five laps or your bike setup, or all of it. Like, if you haven't done your work, there's no hiding.
0: Yeah, and there's a weird thing about the, like, level of accountability, Mm -hmm. of putting yourself just by yourself, like, especially... I'd say more so in like a wrestling or a jiu-jitsu sense because it's literally just two dudes on a mat, yeah. and it's like one dude's gonna win, one yeah. dude's gonna lose, yeah. and everyone's watching you. Totally, and it's yeah. like it's if a weird worked, experience, like, huh? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, and it's so you weird. work harder. Yeah, yeah, it's like weird yeah. to like have that headspace, but then like voluntarily do it. I always wonder about like the headspace that you've got to be in to voluntarily put yourself in front of all of those people. Yeah in a 50 50 chance mm-hmm. and then like you don't even know how good the other dude is yeah, like exactly. he could be so much better than you and exactly. you like literally don't even have no a chance idea. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's a unique part of um i guess just us right like a lot of people don't want that they don't want to put themselves out there that much to do a sport that's one-on-one um nothing against those people but, but I just what do think you think takes different I don't know. I've never thought about it it's because I've known no different. Like yeah. I've never been on the other side of the fence. So yeah. I kind of think it's weird not to feel that way. So yeah, but I, I guess the, the pressure of, if you do lose, you're judged. Um, maybe did people have a different mindset of when, when they do lose on the way people are going to treat them or, Or whatever which is part of the reason of what we talked about earlier identity and winning or losing or eighth or tenth or um, some people just don't want to face that fear I guess Um, I I love facing it and I still get to face it almost every weekend Uh, but I just have a different way of going about it if I don't achieve the result or if I'm one-on-one and I lose I have a different outlook and, and way of processing it and moving on and kind of leaving it there um for you maybe just leave it on the mat and that's that Where it's hard to do though
0: yeah do you think that by doing that kind of stuff like right still racing and like putting yourself out there and like trying to achieve these like just dude to win a freaking supercross is like almost impossible right Mm -hmm. like 19 dudes won't do it yeah one dude will and it's like but obviously like you get something out of it that keeps you coming mm-hmm. back and and I think it's interesting what you're saying before it's like you've won races you've been on podiums but the stuff that you miss is the track days mm-hmm. but that is kind of that's like a metaphor for the whole enjoy the pro it's like the process yeah. not the yeah the destination right because mm-hmm. it's like that's the sort of that's the thing is like you do enjoy the process of it and it's like if you can get to a point where you enjoy the process and the results sort of like Mm -hmm. like it's kind of what you it's like your guidepost but it's not the thing that you live and die by right
1: yeah for sure and that's over the years that's the most fun part the process of of trying to achieve what you're after right and yeah those are the days that i i don't take for granted uh, especially now that I know of who knows how many more years I've got to race. And so, yeah, just being in the grind with your fellow competitors or training mates or coach or whatever it is, uh, the process, is man, it's just so fun. And to have goals, right? Like I, I can't believe I, I it would be a bummer to not have that, to not have that carrot out in front of you to yeah. chase, to not have those goals to, all right, here's, here's a roadmap of how, I think and my team thinks we're gonna achieve these results, let's try and get there. Yeah. But it's four months. Or I actually said to you last night, I said my twenty twenty Supercross season started in June for me. Like that's how long it takes to be prepared. And I've had years in the past where I think the question you asked was, can you kind of uh enjoy Australia or be on more of a holiday than normal? Yeah. Well the answer was I've it's been kind of split the first year i was here it was basically a holiday and i paid for it in supercut season in america the next year i fully just buckled down and it was just full on training and and i had maybe the best season i've ever had um last year was kind of in the middle like a kind of holiday kind <laughs> of uh train and then and ended up getting sick so it was a real struggle and once again i paid for it in america this year I've, it started in at the end of June of preparing and, and then the, um, and I think you can kind of see it in, in my writing and training and mindset. And, um, we've done everything we can for our immune system to be boosted this year for me and, and my wife and kids. And, um, so yeah, it, it it's a long process, but that's, that's the fun part. And the thing is, you don't even know for sure if it's going to work and it's, that long of a process but you just know I've just taken stuff that I've learned throughout the years and once again go back to the basics it's not rocket science you kind of get there and and take that road that you believe is going to work for you and get after it
0: When, when you um when you did that first Loretta's was that like the first time where you went okay I could be a professional at this because you've probably got one of the gnarliest, most roundabout stories to being a factory Honda rider in 2019 mm-hmm. of, yeah, of yeah. anybody. Like, it's such a crazy story to come from where you come from. Like, it, yeah. it, it might even be underappreciated, bro. Like, yeah, It probably uh, is underappreciated.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had, I, being a professional supercross racer wasn't even on the radar. It seemed like where I grew up, arena cross was the big thing because the opener of the arena cross series was in des moines iowa every year Uh, so guys like jeremy mcgrath and those guys that i watched on tv uh at the super crosses were just complete cartoon characters they were did they exist i don't know (laughs) you know like it was that far-fetched for me yeah so it was almost like i couldn't even dream that big that's how far away it was and then i got to to go to the arena crosses a couple of times I'd race amateur day and then we'd go Saturday night to watch the race so I looked up to um, one of the guys I looked up to grew up in the same town it was Chad Pedersen yeah he rode for pro circuit for a couple of years in supercross and he was winning arena crosses and then uh, like Denny Stevenson and Buddy Antonez and like those were the guys that I looked up to because that Bud seems man's so cool yeah Budman's <laughs> awesome I mean Budman's single-handedly one of the biggest reasons why I'm sitting in this chair talking to you today was fast forward a little bit uh in arena cross I ended up being teammates with him Uh. and um he took me under his wing and saw something that I didn't even see and um well I'll, I'll rewind a little bit what really made me realize that I could potentially do this was I was a senior in high school and we showed up to the Des Moines arena cross for my first ever pro race and it was were you just the star of school at that point or did uh, no one even know you were doing it they didn't even really know I mean my close friends did but yeah yeah, I'd race local races and win and whatever but it wasn't that big of a deal the the bigger deal was the high school quarterback or the good baseball player you know yeah Uh, which was Nate Ramsey (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, so I showed up we just showed up out of the back of a box fan and when I say I was on a stock motorcycle I was on a stock motorcycle it was stock pipe stock suspension what it? uh hondas so i was supported by a local honda dealership storm yep. lake honda in iowa and um uh we showed up and i was throwing up in my helmet during practice i was so nervous really and uh it was the year damon bradshaw came back so it, it was just there was a lot of guys i mean the list was long that year of stevenson and uh budman and bradshaw and a lot of supercross guys would come race because it was in november yeah so I ended up being fastest in practice, uh, and I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Like, I think there was almost 200 entries to that race, and um, so it's faster Damn, than that's a lot ruthless. of he- a lot of my heroes. And we went there thinking I wouldn't even qualify. We'll just get some experience. It'll be cool to race in front of a crowd. Yeah. So then the heat race, uh, I hole shot. Bradshaw passes me. I pass him back and win the heat race. And there's still no a photo. Shit. Yeah, there's still a photo of me where it says the rookie passes the veteran, and I, I give Bradshaw crap to this day because I just I mess with him about it. And um, the main event, I led the main event for a little bit, ended up crashing. I think I got sixth or seventh that night. And right then, uh, I was like, for one, maybe I'm better than we think. For two, these are my heroes. Like I was faster than my heroes I was completely out of shape like I had no business doing 20 laps on an arena cross track because I didn't really know what training was at the time and and um so yeah then fast forward a couple years I ended up getting rookie of the year that year in arena cross then I graduated high school my parents basically said uh we'll support you for a year so I moved to California I loaded up a U-Haul by myself didn't know anyone in California drove out there and lived with a guy that my parents actually graduated high school with from from Iowa. He lived in Anaheim. And um, some friends in and amongst uh, our family kind of lined that up. So I called him and said, hey, you sure you don't mind me sleeping on your couch for a few months? He said, no, absolutely not. So I loaded up a U-Haul and I cried for probably four hours of the first four hours of the drive, this 24-hour drive from where I lived. Um, I was leaving everything I thought at the time right I had a high school girlfriend I had um my my family everything was comfortable I was winning local races and now I'm going out into this big world of Southern California so yeah so I loaded up and I rode Lake Elsinore every day and and um and uh ended up the that next year being teammates with Buddy Antonis, and Bud man totally took me under his wing and uh, we just had so much fun I was teammates with uh, Buddy Antonez and Brad Hagseth that year and those two guys still to this day are two of my favorite people I just I learned so much from them I was 19 or 20 maybe even 21 I I forget but uh, and hanging out with these two guys in arena cross like I just learned so much good and bad (laughs) I learned (laughs) some things what not to do and and most things what to do and uh, then in 2004 uh, fill-in ride became available with the, what is now Geico Honda the um, so Factory Connection Honda team at the time Budman called me and said hey I just got a call from Eric Kehoe they're doing a tryout this week it was the week after the final round of arena cross Yeah, and um, you should come out and at least try and I had never ridden a supercross track before uh, so when I would race arena cross I'd literally just show up and we would just ra- we would race you know And most of the time, it was when I I was um, off the couch because I couldn't ride in Iowa. Yeah, because of the winters. Yeah, because of the winters. uh, But when I was in Southern California, we'd just ride. I'd ride Lake Elsinore motocross track and then go race arena cross on the weekend. So Budman uh, took me to the Honda test track. And um, yeah, I had a tryout, and I'll never forget it. I mean, it was like yesterday, but I was riding... uh, Billy Leninovich's practice bike and the team was out there and they, uh, I remember the suspension guy after I did some, some laps. He's all right. Can you do 15 laps? And I was like, Oh my gosh, this (laughs) is, this is going to be bad. So I just, I kind of gutted through it and got done and they said, all right, you want to race St. Louis this weekend? And I said, heck yeah, really? So they just had me out there. I don't know if guys rode the bike the day before or what, but, um, so I ended up getting that fill in ride and, um, I flew out the next day to St. Louis Supercross and it was when they had Friday practice and Saturday race. So I remember getting all my gear and helmet and everything shipped to the hotel and, um, I put on all my stuff. I was going to say, yeah, you it put was everything just, on oh, hotel, it was amazing. That's it was so amazing. Good. But what's crazy is that feeling still hasn't went away. I'm 35 when I get new gear and new helmet, and new boots. Like I just, I froth on it. Like I, I love that. Um, so yeah, Budman got me that kind of first fill-in ride and then he was kind of like my acting agent for a while because he was in that yeah. that kind of field of work and um, ended up getting a two-year deal with Moto World. It was Moto World Suzuki at the time, but that fill-in ride uh, helped me get that.
0: Do you remember the first, like your first laps around on the Supercross track?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was like a fish out of water. Yeah, did it yep. feel super weird? Yeah, super weird. Uh, and then, I mean, for half the day I didn't even jump the triple really yeah well that was so the day before I did the the tryout thing Budman brought out his 250 uh four stroke practice bike for me to ride on the track just to kind of get the track down and um yeah it was bad it wasn't that good (laughs) it wasn't that good at all but I (laughs) I I just quickly learned yeah yeah yeah, I quickly learned kind of how to do it and and um yeah just the jumping and stuff kind of came natural to me it was more the timing of it like wait so i gotta jump from here to there and i can't over jump it and i can't under jump it yeah. like, all right so it was cool to have a a kind of a coach and a teacher in Budman man he had say, been like, there and yeah, done that and
0: yeah yeah because he is a he's still like a really good coach now, he's awesome right? yeah.
1: yeah 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 i worked with him uh so yes yeah, through my supercross days and then he ended up um I forget how, but somehow he said basically, hey, I'm not going to be able to work with you next year. I think he was working with Tomac and a couple other guys, and that he just didn't really have room. So he's like, I think you would fit well with Nathan Ramsey. Oh, uh, I, I always how, yeah. Yeah, that's how the Ramsey connection came about. And I always had tons of respect for Nate Dogg, more for the way he is off the track, more than was, on the
0: motorcycle. I was going to say, like, it's kind of crazy that you two – got together because like, I just, you remind me of him so mm-hmm. much. Like when I, when I'm talking to you, I feel like yeah. there's that connection back yeah. to Nate dog. Cause he was so influential in, mm-hmm. in my life in America. Like we used to call him my American dad. Yeah, Like he yeah. would just pick up the pieces that I would yeah. leave. And he's so everywhere. caring, huh? Like yeah. he,
1: he would drop, if he had hundred things going on, he would yeah. drop all hundred and pick you back up if you needed to pick back up and uh so we clicked right away we just man we had so much fun together and if he wasn't with ktm i'd still be working with him today yeah we just we would be between him and bud man those two guys are just one two of my favorite guys but also very very smart like they're smart guys mm-hmm. and um i try to emulate nate dog on a daily basis from um just life like he's yeah. he's he's got it figured out on how to how to navigate life
0: yeah and he's one of those people that is so so genuine yeah like there's just no you know like he'd drop a hundred things for you like Mm -hmm. there's definitely people like that that they still would drop all 100 things to help you out but then you'd hear about it yeah totally like he there's just not even that with him like there's just Mm -hmm. there's something so like he's like a monk sort of type dude almost and like the way that he the way that he talks to people, the way that he handles situations. Like Mm -hmm. he is definitely a, a, if you want to aspire to be like anybody, he's definitely
1: the kind of guy. I think a lot of people don't know that about him though. huh? Like you got to kind of know him to figure that out. He's not going to. Well, that's because he won't tell you. Exactly. Yeah. And he's the type of guy that I never needed to impress where Mm -hmm. I think a lot of riders and, and uh, even to their mentors or coaches, like you're always looking to impress them Where Nate. I could, I could cry to him, mm. we could laugh, we could like, just anything. I could be a human being, I guess, to Nathan Ramsey. And I didn't have to just be the racer. And even with Budman too, same thing. Like, if we're driving to the track, we're not talking about my schedule that day at the track. Or we're not talking about things we're gonna do that day. We're more talking about your marriage and how to be a better person and your experiences mm. in the past of certain things. And I love that. I love getting deep with people about life. I just think you learn so much from that mm. and and you can it brings everybody down to the same level it, rather than just talking about how fast you were or how good you can hit this corner or how fast you are in the whoops like yeah we'll, we'll just we'll go show everybody on Saturday but in the meantime let's talk about what's going on how's your marriage mm. How how the kids doing how's how's things going are you struggling in any areas are you you know like that's the stuff that i really like to dig into because mm. if you can dig into that it's going to make you such a better racer i don't think people dig into that enough uh even just in general whether you're a businessman or or anything an athlete I think digging into the the core of mm. yourself is it's so good to do yeah it's i a, enjoy
0: it it's a super rewarding experience and like mm-hmm. i was i've been thinking about it a bit lately and i mean the, our, like this show sort of goes there a lot of times I think because it's something that I'm super interested in as well but I, I definitely think that there's an element of like all the friends that I'm really close with like no, and no matter how long I've known them for like it, it, this isn't a gauge of like how long we've been friends mm-hmm. but if somebody is going to be vulnerable and share things with me about themselves that they're going through that are like like deeper than you know just to like oh yeah how's this how's that it gives you like a sense of um i don't know it's like there's like a certain trust that comes from that Mm -hmm. and then there's a real connection that gets made when you're like willing to be vulnerable and tell people real shit i don't i I feel like it just sort of dissolves a bunch of the surface level stuff because i feel like we all kind of do crave that in Mm -hmm. a way but i think the people that sort of don't do that maybe are worried about being judged for it or I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're the person to bring it up and especially in a situation that we're in, or you're on such a big platform with this podcast or if I can do an interview and, and you know, share some of my weaknesses with people, it automatically brings people to your level. Mm. And, and I, I love that. Like just, I could tell right away we haven't known each other long, but just last night, the conversation like we could have surface level conversation of you ask me a question I have an answer mm-hmm. and then you have a question of well why do you think that is mm-hmm. and then we talk about that and then you get deeper deep, like I love that mm-hmm. because there's always a surface answer hey how you doing I'm good mate how are you mm-hmm. good no you're not you're not really doing good. yeah like what what's going on Yeah, are like what's on your mind yeah, yeah exactly and then you can talk about it and then it's so relatable because we're all going through it yeah. we're all in it together we're all in a in. This one big struggle, maybe not the same struggles, but yeah. we're all dealing with it. It it's doesn't like matter different if versions of the same, one, same struggle. Yeah, and, and we kind of talked about it as well last night. Just some of the most successful people in the world have deeper struggles than you could ever imagine, mm. and that's helped me a lot with being friends with some of my idols. Of like, man, wait, what? When you were winning all those times, or you did this you were going through that like really yeah no one would ever know that so just we're all human beings and it it kind of just it makes you so much more relatable to everyone and and i think that's the the best part about it like i just i love getting in those deep conversations and um yeah because we're not all yeah we're doing good but we're all in a struggle as well
0: and it's good to learn from people too like even um just the last couple of like the last couple of weeks there's been some fucking awesome guests on where I've like I've learned a lot Mm -hmm. and even this process like it is a big platform now and I'm not used to this many people looking at me yeah and like this is what it is like the podcast is like me you Josh is in here mixing it that's it there's four people but then like a hundred thousand people will look at this and that's like that's a weird thing Mm -hmm. to deal with, you know? So it's like, for me, I'm, yeah, I'm doing the podcast, but I'm really, like, what I'm really doing is, like, I know that you're coming in here today and I've got to do this conversation, Mm -hmm. but I'm really just trying to learn shit from you that can help me just get through the process of even recording this and, like, putting it out to the world Mm -hmm. and having that, you know, those that that many people looking at you or listening to you. Like, it's a...
1: I think that's why you've been successful and why you'll continue to be successful is because you can be relatable. I've listened to several of your, your podcasts and it's fun because it's so it's, it's, it's relatable, but it's just, you do learn a lot, but it's no BS. It's not in here talking. We're not just talking about the races I've won Mm. so far in Australia. And we're not just talking about Daytona. We're talking about life. Like, and I, and I love that because I race motorcycles for twenty minutes a week? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And some on the weekends up, you don't have anything. Yeah. What what's in between that? Yeah. What what do you think about when you're at the semi truck in between races? What what's your home life like? Like what what's your thought process all week and and um so I love taking a deep dive in that and that's what we talked about earlier, really, Ryan Kelly has helped me so much with was mm. just kind of that navigating through my thoughts. Um your thoughts precede feelings like it's just a snowball effect and mm. you got it you have the power to stop that and then being in control of your happiness like a lot of people don't think they have control like it's your choice man yeah it's totally your choice you want to be happy or not yeah okay if you want to be happy then let's take the steps to be happy yeah if you don't sorry man do you like, know I've got like, a choice
0: do you know why you were negative before you sort of went into like this way of thinking?
1: Um. Mm, uh, I mean, not really. Like, I can't pinpoint one thing. Um. But I think just probably my childhood and like with your like, parents splitting up yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and I I got to see my mom. Like, my mom's like me. Like, sh- she had three kids. Um, she left my dad at the time. We lived in my aunt and uncle's garage. And she worked two jobs and we rode the bus to school like she just made it happen. And I got to see that. So I'm like, get out of my way. Like, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to make it happen. And so seeing that and going through all that stuff, I think is one of the reasons why, because I would get negative on people that would people that were too positive. I didn't like being around them. I'm like, (laughs) man, everything can't be that good. Yeah. And. But now I've kind of realized, like, you don't have to be too positive, but you can be positive. You, yeah. you have a choice of the way. that I you didn't think. realize the way I thought made me feel the way that I did. Yeah. I just thought I was having those thoughts and get out of my way and I'm going to act a certain way. And, but like I said earlier, that's a strength as well. It's just the way that you balance the way it. that you balance yeah. it. And when do you tap into that strength and when do you not? And I think that's what I've balanced over the last four years and, um, being married. Cause there is days where I'm like, okay, get out of my way. Cause I'm getting stuff done today yeah. or at the races. Like when my helmet goes on, it's on like, I, I'm not a dirty rider at all, but like I, I want to get the job done.
0: Yeah. And the thing too, like, I suppose again, well, it's not like it's been easy for you either like it's been Mm a a, like a hard road to get to where you are and I know even in your personal life you've had like some hard shit go down so like Mm -hmm. it would be kind of easy like to be negative with like a bunch of and like again like you were saying you know say whether it's Villapoto or Dungy like they've all got their own shit like yeah Yeah, they won all all the titles but like Mm -hmm. in between that it's like it's not like it was easy to be them but it was like you were dealing with that stuff and you weren't winning the championship. So it's like I could see why you get, you could be in like a negative headspace when Mm -hmm. like you're just in a pressure cooker of a deal. The sport that you're in, you could lose your life at the drop of a hat. Like it's a pretty gnarly, like Mm -hmm. you guys are just living your life at 14,000 revs, dude. Like it just doesn't stop.
1: Yeah. And I love my story though. I think most people like their, their own stories but I love my the road Mm. that I had to take to get here and you know I think you look in certain sports like if you look at Michael Jordan he probably wouldn't make a very good coach or some of the best riders or some of the best um, athletes they don't make good coaches yeah I honestly believe and I don't know if I'll ever go into that but I think through all my struggles I'll be a better coach or mentor than I ever was a racer. Yeah. And, and I think riders still to this day can attest, like there's so many guys that I line up with that I've helped throughout the years of just the list is pretty long that people that have been at my house and literally in tears crying about something, they'll go win the race that weekend. But I love that. Like I, I like helping and I kind of know the root cause of a lot of it. Cause there's a lot of dysfunction in, all sports like to be at the highest level there's a it's a tough road to get there for a lot of people yeah but I love that I love what I've learned throughout all of it um yeah even though it was tough man I've learned so much and I've gotten to live it and be happy and I don't know many people can say that they they can truly race for as long as I've done and actually enjoy the these last four years have been they've been so fun yeah they really have and If I could help somebody at the beginning of their career try and enjoy it as much as I have, look, it's still tough. There's still pressure. There's still all that. But that's good every now and again. But the way I've balanced it, I think, is going to help me or has helped me be a better friend, uh, be a better husband, be a better dad, be a better person just in general. So I love the roadmap that I've had to take to get here. Yeah. I don't know if I'd do it again. (laughs) But that's with anything, right? You look back on it. You're like, man, I don't know how I did that. But here we are.
0: What was like the hardest bit? Like the hardest point where of the whole journey? Like if you look back at it, like say chapters close, that's it. And like full reminisce mode. You Mm -hmm. look back and you're like, that's the bit I would never, ever want to do again.
1: I would say my first year 450. I was so focused. Like I came out of the 250 class.
0: Was that on the MDK bike?
1: MDK, yep. Yep. Yeah. KTMs. And then I moved to 450 for motocross and did really well. I was in the mindset of... Dude, you actually did
0: do really good on that bike that season. Yeah. eh? Yeah. yeah,
1: I won the last moto at Steel City. Then uh, I signed with JGR. So me and my friend Heath, who traveled with me for years, he's kind of my high school best friend and still my best friend to this day. But He moved to North Carolina with me, and from that, I'd say that next six months was probably the hardest time of my life uh, for several reasons, but mainly we're moving to a new place. Um, I had a a girlfriend of like three years or so that some stuff went crazy there, Um, and like I I was kind of heartbroken over that, and then I was moving to a new team, which they were welcoming but not as much as i would have hoped or had liked so that moving to a new place weird
0: because that was like their first year
1: doing it right yeah i think it was their third year oh was it yeah second or third year um, but then their hands were tied because we were getting a new motorcycle we were getting a new 2010 yamaha oh, totally different yeah, generation yeah 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 so and it was like i, I was just a workaholic like i was John, James your teammate then no it was josh grant oh, okay yeah, so i moved there in october and it just rained and rained and <laughs> rained and i was used to southern california where i could just ride every day yeah. ride and train every day it was like clockwork so i couldn't ride i didn't have a motorcycle to ride for one um so we didn't get our bikes till like late december and i just it, it just wasn't a good vibe just from me to the team the team to me just we struggled that first little bit, and it was mainly because my hands were tied. I just, I couldn't do what they hired me to do. I couldn't ride. I couldn't train. I couldn't, you know, it was just really, really difficult. I remember um, sitting in the Best Buy parking lot in uh, in North Carolina on the phone with my agent at the time, just crying, saying, get me out of here. Like, I've got to get back to KTM or something. Like, I, I Anaheim's in like a month, and I literally haven't even rode the motorcycle, and I haven't rode uh, typically my weight is about 165 to 170 i was 183 pounds just because you at the line donating. that and the trainer they had at the time was just basically a like he was a football guy so i was lifting heavy weights which i knew it was the wrong thing so there's just so many things and it wasn't like i said it wasn't really the team's fault because i respect everyone there a lot like there's a lot of smart dudes but everyone's hands were just tied and so I would say that was the toughest period and somehow some way I line up in Anaheim and we get I end up getting fifth in the series that year my first year in 450 and getting a permanent number which I chose number 10 and like it ended up being okay and that next year I met my wife but there was six months of like just it was difficult it was really really tough and then once I crawled out of that and and the bike we started dial the bike in and started get some podiums and Like it all started to come around, but like I said, that there's four to six months there where it's probably the hardest time, mainly because I couldn't do. Like I knew what I had to do to to be successful, and it was my first year in the class. I knew like this was my livelihood. You know, this is what I wanted to do forever. Race the premier class on one of my dream teams, Joe Gibbs Racing. Like, are you serious? Like, this is awesome. And then it just we struggled for a little bit
0: what what got you through that time then like obviously Um, you didn't give up yeah yeah that's that's never a choice that's never
1: even a an an option um I think I just kept showing up yeah I just I kept training even though I knew it was kind of the wrong training because my whole philosophy going into that year was it's my first year in the class it's a team uh, uh, this is like the best team in the pits in my opinion at the time um I needed a change of scenery so North Carolina was it so you just I just kept showing up I just kept showing up to the races kept doing the best I I could and uh, that first generation bike was not very good so we were struggling with that the team was struggling with that so just yeah you just got to keep showing up and keep doing the best you can and then I, I eventually you know we crawled out of that hole and and um started to make it better
0: it's a weird personality trait sometimes like because i often wondered, like i stayed in america for so long i just couldn't like i was making it i was like barely making it work mm-hmm. all the time And I, and now i look back a lot of it was just me yeah just my own me in my own way i didn't think for whatever reason like i didn't think that i was even worthy of doing good if mm-hmm. that makes sense like i thought yeah. that i feel like i'd made such a mess of so many things in the past mm-hmm. that me like i would let the past me sort of sabotage the future me yeah totally. i was like you know what dude you're not like you've done you fucked up all this stuff like yeah. you don't even really deserve that so you sort of you stop it there mm-hmm. but like for whatever reason bro i just couldn't give up like yeah. i couldn't leave i just had to keep <laughs> keep doing it even to when it like doesn't make sense yeah i feel like that's like a trait with some people i wonder mm-hmm. what that is because you obviously went through that same thing of like even though you wanted to give up like you yeah. just couldn't you like couldn't. something yeah. in you just doesn't yeah. let you do it and i it. think
1: with any success story there's always that right like oh there was this time and this year where i was just done i was gonna give up and then this came about like i, I read about it a lot in, in like um singers like their last gig before they, yeah. Like uh, this country singer Jason Aldean has a story that's crazy. He showed up to his last kind of just uh, it was like a gig that he was doing in a bar, and his last one is when the the record label, the guy from one of the the record label that signed him, was it just happened to be at that bar that night, yeah. And the next day he was like moving back home. He was giving up, and now he's one of the most successful country singers to ever live, and he's multimillionaire and just dialed right yeah but there's so many of those stories yeah and almost always when you get to that point if you just keep grinding and keep going you'll eventually get there yeah where you want to be
0: and the funny thing too is like you sort of think that it's gonna like when you're in those moments you think that it's like gonna take this special thing and mm-hmm. that's gonna be what turns a top but it's not like it's literally not really, it just It's like a cloud, eh? It just slowly lifts. Like, I think what happens is, like, if you wait for that one thing to click or that, like, Mm. it's sort of, like, that's never really, in my experience, it doesn't happen. It's like a fog just lifts. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit.
1: Okay. I can see again. And it's what we talked about earlier with the searching, right? So, when you're in those times, it's easy to just search Mm. and try this and try that. Yeah. And then a lot of times you'll hear people say, so, what are you doing? Like, now that you're doing this, you're like, same old shit. And I hadn't done anything <laughs> different, but now I'm just, I've done the same thing and now I'm just getting these results. And I think it takes that to then, it's almost like you're supposed to go through that, you know? Yeah. I've thought about that before too. And then it's like you're supposed to go through it and then you can enjoy the other side a little yeah. more. Like, if I didn't go through the struggles and all of a sudden I'm winning races my first year in the 450 class and everything just seems like, would you even enjoy it mm. I don't know if you would and then if it did happen it would be a bummer to look back on and be like man I I won for this many years straight and yeah I didn't have any fun doing it but I've got all this money to show that well, I've I wonder, enjoyed it I don't know if I'd want that
0: well like what do you think James looks back like
1: I think it's tough because I think that yeah.
0: that that like you that's kind of yeah. James right it's and he like had he, no
1: choice I, I talked to uh, Roger Larson who's a mutual friend of ours, like I've felt that pressure now being in Australia that James felt yeah. his whole life, because when I line up here, I you can't lose. Win, yeah, I cannot lose. Yeah, and if I do, which the mindset that I'm in now, it's like I don't say I w- I wouldn't care, but I would deal with it a lot different. Yeah, but that's the pressure that James felt his whole life, or Ricky felt his whole life, or Poto or Dungey,
0: top 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 at the top, top level.
1: Yeah. So I I I know exactly why they wouldn't want to continue. It's it's a difficult space to be in because any other sport like if you're if you get 8th at a NASCAR race it's fine you had the happy eighth days. place car it's yeah. happy days. If Stewart got 8th at Anaheim one imagine his week <laughs> oh, like yeah. it's brutal. Yeah. So that's the tough part about our sport is like it's only the winner and maybe second or third that are glorified glorified yeah the seventh place guy who's a bad dude on a dirt bike like a bad dude yes gets ridiculous he just gets shunned and like yeah we don't care about you
0: well that's like when I have people that like I I take some of my jiu-jitsu buddies to like the supercrosses so Mm -hmm. that they can see it and they're like that that literally the guy in seventh or eighth or whatever or coming last for Mm -hmm. instance they're like so would you be as good as that dude? And I'm like, fucking no! <laughs> yeah. Like, no! Yeah. By the most you can say no. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm that dude is a legitimate yeah. one of the best beast. in the world
1: to to ride. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It is crazy. And it just don't get like. I, I mm-hmm. wish, like
0: I was saying to you last night. Like, do you like the idea of a like a televised top ten sort of shootout to where you? that gives you your gate pick or whatever like if you're the top 10 in qualifying instead of the opening ceremonies where you just ride around the track and wave Mm -hmm. at the fans you're actually putting in a heater and then that determines your gate pick for the heat or something because then it's I'm open minded
1: to it all I think I think mixing it up every weekend is cool yeah true I think throwing something in throwing that in one weekend throwing triple crown in the next weekend throwing a like I think just throw anything at us I think then you have more like the triple crown thing in, in America has been awesome. Yeah, you have guys that you like. For instance,
0: would have won the title without the triple crown. That started
1: his whole deal. It did start it. Um, I think he he was going to be good regardless, but yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, it definitely could yeah. have had
0: something like pretty big to do with it, though, right? For
1: sure, yeah. And rewind one year, Anaheim two. I won the. Um, or sorry, I got second in one of the triple crowns and fourth overall. And just that second yeah. in that triple crown race, so I got a, I went two five three, and just those two podiums in the triple crown, it just it felt so good, and then I won the Atlanta triple crown, I mean it it felt amazing just to win one of the yeah. triple crowns, and then all my sponsors are on TV like I just won the race, yeah, like it benefits so many yeah. people, and then you have five people going home happy rather than just one, yeah, or five sponsors going home truly or maybe even more because like I remember one triple crown there was three different winners in the 250 class and three in the 450 class yeah so there's six potential sponsors on their motorcycles that get get love and six different riders not to mention the guys that maybe got second or third that wouldn't normally get a second or third so and the racing is just it's so fun to watch like I was injured for a couple races last year and I remember sitting at home watching one of the triple yeah, cheers, Chad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was that crash, huh? um, Yeah, I, I think it was a Houston Supercross. We were, had some buddies over, and it was so fun to watch. And then the next weekend was a regular twenty-minute race. Like I could have turned it off halfway through, and I'm one of the biggest fans of the sport ever. Yeah. Like I just love it. But so I'm I'm okay with mixing it up. I think it's better for you know some riders will hate it, some riders will love it. Uh, at every sport you know, has some sort of a playoff system. I don't know if that's the answer, but I'm happy to give suggestions or listen or like, I think something doesn't really need to change because what we're doing is somewhat successful, but from certain angles, it's successful. And from others, it's not. Yeah. And I think from the teams and sponsors aspect, they're ready for some sort of a change. I don't know if we all know what that is, but as a fan of the sport, man, it, when I'm done racing, I wanna, I wanna be able to turn on the TV Saturday night and be so excited yeah. to watch the to watch the race, and um, whether it's triple crown or double header, whatever it is, I think it'd be cool to throw something different in every weekend.
0: Well, like you look at Mookie just won one of the motos at yeah. the Monster Cup, mm-hmm. bro. That changes his it's next awesome. two months totally he's a fucking winner he can win for two months he's a a winner and he's literally like imagine the way that that's going to affect his mindset Mm -hmm. imagine the boost that gave to the Moto Concepts guys exactly like there's a there's an underground economy of momentum and I think it's so overlooked and I think that the sport needs to do whatever it can to not just have the momentum with factory Honda and and Kawasaki like Mm -hmm. how do we make it to where everybody in the pits has a feeling of accomplishment is there a you know like I just I think that there's things that have to be done to ensure more winners because like we're talking Mm -hmm. about NASCAR that's the most boring sport on the face of the earth in terms of what they actually do Mm -hmm. they drive cars in a circle why is it so successful? because like 15 dudes could legitimately win so Mm -hmm. you're like the thing itself is quite boring yeah but what makes it exciting is all of the possible storylines and now too like we're seeing it with like what west does with moto spy mm-hmm. um the uh what's the outdoor series called no the bloody oh what's it called what's the one that troy adamitus does now
1: the outdoors yeah i'm not sure but i know what you're talking about we I mean, used to be the great outdoors, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: But like so that with all the storylines that mm-hmm. they're they're doing now, it's like people can get invested in those people. I feel like yeah. whatever we can do to just give everybody that momentum to where mm-hmm. they all feel like they're achieving these goals and it's not just this two horse yeah. race. Well where, just
1: recently, like you mentioned the Monster Cup, like if that last main event's twenty minutes, AC probably doesn't win. Yeah. Like Tomax just He's just gnarly. He's gnarly in that, especially the last 10 minutes. Um, and then, so there's three different winners. They all can go home stoked. They all believe they can win. And if you look at when I won Daytona, what I do the week before, I won a triple crown in Atlanta. Yeah. The week before. Yeah. I beat all the best guys. All the best guys were, it was a crazy race. Anderson passed me a couple of times. I passed him back. They're, all the best guys are all over me. Well, then I got to feel what it was like to to do that the very next weekend on the worst track for me I just check out I'm like oh this is this is no B this is like the easiest race of my life and Tomac's coming towards the end okay I'll just pick it back up and match him and win the race it was crazy but do I do that if Atlanta wasn't a triple crown
0: <laughs> sorry pause that <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that's crazy yeah. Hey, to, to think about that yeah that, that race dude like it seems like that is such a does it feel like validation almost for like the whole four years to just win that one race like yeah. that was where it's like you put your flag in the ground You're like see yeah it, I it was did a it. validation for Austin yeah. my
1: whole life yeah not true. even just the four years just I mean that's what I'm going to be defined by now a, a lot of it is winning that race or people will remember, remember that forever that, they're yeah. not going to remember the race that I came from 10th to second at Seattle in 2000, whatever, you know, like you're not going to remember those races Yeah. or the, yeah. So yeah, it just, the, the weight that got stripped off my shoulders that night, I can't even explain it. Like how, how good it felt, how good it feels to just even today to talk about it and to know that I've won a race. Yeah. I've raced for how long and I've won a race. And Yeah, that's it's something to be so proud of. But then other guys, you know, they look at it like, oh, you've only won one race? I won 25 or 30 or whatever. We're looking at it through my lens of being so proud of that one. I feel like I'd rather be so proud of that one or if I get a, a few more, whatever it is, even if it's just one. To look back and be so proud of that one, I think I'd rather feel that than not be proud of any of them and have 40 of them. Yeah. And if I didn't go through what I've went through to be so proud for that one, that goes back to why I think I'll be a good coach or mentor or, yeah. or whatever it is or, like, be a better person from it. I just – I'm I'm so proud of that. And, and um, yeah, the statistics, when you look at it, I think it was my 100 and – yeah, 100 and something start and – yeah, if you only win one race out of 150 starts it doesn't seem that successful yeah. in the highest of standards but I think it is but, because well, I never you can thought kinda, I'd race a supercross
0: yeah that's what I mean like you can mm-hmm. kind of look at it it just depends on the lens that you want to look exactly, at it. it's yeah. like essentially if you say I was the 150th if you've lined up 149 times and you haven't won, Mm. you probably shouldn't win any. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's probably like, all right, you're just not going to win. Yeah. But then you do it and it's like, it validates, yeah. Yeah. Like a whole life of really Mm -hmm. struggling. And that's what I was saying before. Like, your story, dude, to come from Iowa and to, you know, like you said, that McGrath was a cartoon character. Yeah. Like, so many kids, like, they grow up and they're, that was one of the like me and Todd would talk about this like because Todd's just a frother like Mm -hmm. he just froths on everything so hard and he's like I'm so glad that I didn't grow up in Southern California and I didn't get to go to Glen Helen every day and see Carmichael and just become like jaded by he's like I'm so excited Mm -hmm. he's like I'm probably not as good of a racer anymore but, you know, you look at a kid like uh, like Carson Mumford yeah. or Ryder DiFrancesco like, they've just seen all the yep. dopest shit their whole <laughs> life and it's like, yeah. what's the what's the seal? You know, where yeah. do they go from from there? Exactly. You know, it's yeah. like, and it's the same for you. Like, you mm-hmm. come from so far away that it's like, you almost get to appreciate all of the thing. Whereas yeah. I don't think a guy like yeah like a Carson Mumford like Mm -hmm. I don't think he gets to appreciate exactly what he's got because it's always all been there
1: and guys like that they don't get time to grow so I had a chance to grow into myself with not having the pressure at 16 to win if I go win my second 450 supercross man the rest of my career is going to be a struggle because if I don't win it's never going to be enough. It's There's like a,
0: being that band with like that first hit single. Yeah. You yeah. got to live up
1: to that every time. There's a, a story that Bradshaw told me he won the supercross. I think it was in Japan or something. And Ricky Johnson was on the podium with podium with him. And he said, you just messed up. Bradshaw was like, what? I just won the race. He's Like exactly. You just won the race. Now nothing else is going to be good enough for your team, for you, for everything. And Bradshaw has told me that story personally. And it's, it's so true. And, the younger guys that you see it so many times you see it year after year these kids come in they've won loretta lens every year they've had a factory ride since they were 12 they get two years to make it as a pro and that's it maybe one year and if they don't make it uh, next where for me i actually had time to grow into my first fill-in ride into the motor world ride where i you know like i've i've said before to other people but i'm one of the only ones that has actually lived every facet of our sport, every stage of our sport from, I couldn't even qualify at one time. I couldn't make the top 20 at a pro national. Not even close. Then I'm a top 20 guy. Then I'm a top 15. Then I'm top 10. Then I'm a top 5 guy. And then at one point I've battled for championships. So I've lived all that and gone through that mentally where these kids don't get to learn that. And I think if the teams just put a little more time in or let them mature a little bit and not let them turn pro when they're 16 maybe yeah. wait until they're 21 uh guys i i say right now guys like i mean josh osby's in the room with us for now but a guy like him or um good friends with uh cameron mcadoo guys like that have such an opportunity right now because they're a little older they've had a little bit of time to grow yeah now if a guy like osby got a chance on a factory team like watch out yeah because a 16 year old kid's not going to beat him i don't care what anybody says. Yeah. But when he was sixteen, he wasn't ready to go pro either. So I just think there's a, a path that works for some and doesn't for others. There's I was gonna a say that's few the, yeah, that few yeah that's that that the problem. Works.
0: That's the problem is very, you get like a Jet few. Lawrence though. And then you're like he could win right now. And He's, then the, he becomes like the
1: rule, not the exception. Or, or James was the rule, right? Exactly. Or or Ricky was the rule, and then the it's industry so looks for that guy. The yeah.
0: industry is like, we need that next guy. Like yeah. we don't, we don't care. Like we don't have time for like a fine wine, Justin Brayton. Yeah. that takes twenty yeah. years yeah, to yeah, be totally. like I, you
1: know. I get that, yeah, but I. Just but it's not
0: think... good for people to to look for that and to push yeah. for that and to That's expect right. that everybody is James or every mm. like Jet Lawrence might not be. Well, that to guy. expect
1: Jet to win. That's a bummer for Jet. Yeah, like I feel bad for him. I do. Like for for him to be expected to win, the kid just turned sixteen. Yeah, he's a good rider. Imagine how good he would be at twenty. Yeah. And then will somebody wait for him to be that good? Nope. Maybe he will be when he's sixteen. I'm not saying yeah. he won't win races next year. But imagine how good he really could be at twenty. And then he races the 250 class for a couple of years. And then he he's got he's still got a a ten year 450 career if he wanted it. Yeah. You know? But a lot of these kids I see that come in, I just I genuinely feel bad for them and their parents because if they just had two or three more years, I think they could turn into something really really good. But they don't have that long. Yeah. And I was thankful to, super thankful to have some teams that I've been on to have some patience with me.
0: So what's like the way to do it? Like, do you reckon that say you were like like Josh, you go race some Australian series? Like, just be a bit of a journeyman at the start. Of your career, because like Osborne's kind of a dude that he's has had that, that yep. like roundabout way to mm-hmm. being one of the top dudes.
1: And he had the guts to to figure it out. Like so he obviously was highly touted, amateur factory rider, getting paid six figures and just didn't perform as a pro. Most people are just done up. Oh, yeah, they get show he's not that type of guy. He went to Europe and did it a different way not a lot of people could do that I couldn't do that there's no way I go to Europe and be successful like he's been and then he comes back reinvents himself as a champion but I think and he would say the same thing as me like it just took him that long to learn it's a skill to learn how to win as well like I think that's where all these overseas stuff that's helped me learn how to win and like I was helping McAdoo a little bit last year he was left with nothing nothing he's just been kind of a filling guy Oh, what should I do, JB? What should I do? Like, just go race. So uh, a fill-in ride came available for Yareev last year. Yareev called me. Hey, who do you think we should get for X? McAdoo. What's he do? He comes in. He wins the race. Mm -hmm. OzX last year in Sydney. Um, JB, what should I do now? Uh, I'll call Eric Pinard and get you into Paris Supercross. Mm -hmm. But you're going to have to ride a Honda that literally, I don't know what it's like. You got to wear some random gear. I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I just need to be racing. Uh, he gets a podium at Paris. He's learning how to develop his skills and to be a better racer. And not to mention
0: like just the racing. It's like the fact that you're having to travel, you're having to deal with different... Learning. Yeah, it's just yeah. like this constant like yeah. other variables that you have to figure yeah. out how And to people make are talking about him, right? He's mm. there.
1: He's actually in the press. He's in people's face. And then next, uh, hey, I'll, I'll try and get you into Geneva. He rides a bone stock bike in Geneva and wins the race. Guess what they're talking about? They're talking about McAdoo winning this race and, you know, people talking about it. And he's learning how to develop as a racer to be a winner. And now all that, then all of a sudden he's a fill-in guy again. And now he's got his chance, which I believe being a little bit older, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins races at the highest level now. But it took time. It took a guy like him to just keep going, keep Mm -hmm. going all right what's next like i know a lot of people in the industry they're not going to go to paris and race some random honda they're not going to do that Mm. i would have done it like i i would have done it and and i don't have anything else okay what do i need to do like there's a lot of guys that just wouldn't take those steps and they're just going to sit at a training facility and practice and not get noticed
0: do you think guys are more in love with like the idea of how your career should go because like, if it, if you don't, like how many guys have we seen that it's like, if you, you come out of amateurs, you win a bunch of Loretta's then you do good your first year, maybe your second year you get an injury, then mm-hmm. you're off that team. And then you go to like a second tier team. And it's like, then they're, it's not the yeah. picture that they painted for themselves. Totally, so they're yeah. like, they're more in love with the idea of mm-hmm. being a factory writer than actually being a factory writer. Totally, you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah. I 100% agree with you there. I think just a lot of the guys just want to pit out of a semi and have that look. I don't care what I'm pitting out of. If I've got a decent motorcycle, line, let's line up. I'll line up. I'll come in the back of a pickup <laughs> truck, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the mindset you have to have because with that factory ride and with that semi, there's pressure that comes with it, and most people can't handle that. Yeah. And a lot of people will say, it's like the biggest misconception as a privateer. Oh, if I just got this factory bike, nah, mate, you, you <laughs> wouldn't do any better. Yeah. I just, I guarantee it. And the motorcycles are so good now in stock form. If you can have some good suspension, you can go do well. And if a fifteenth place guy got offered my ride and my motorcycle, he's not all of a sudden a fifth place guy. Yeah, it's just not how it works. And I, I really believe that because one, the pressure. To, it's not NASCAR where the car makes up probably 80% where ours is flipped. We're probably 80% rider, 20% bike. And then once you get to that level, the advantages you have are the technicians and the opportunity to make your bike fit you. Are you going to be good at that? Like I wasn't at first, but that's the biggest thing you have as a factory rider is how knowledgeable can you be? And how good of a communicator can you be with your team to make that motorcycle fit you? Yeah. So if you can't communicate what your bike's doing, yeah, I mean, you're not gonna, you're not going to get it the way you want it.
0: And it's almost worse when you're on a factory team with unlimited resources because you can can get lost in the source. Totally. Yeah. Like they can give you everything like shit you've never changed before. Yeah. Like even like, oh, how much talk do you want on your rear axle? Mm hmm what the fuck yeah like yeah. i did use i yeah. tightened it up with a what shift. mounts
1: do you want on your frame we have 25 different options yeah, yeah. so it's
0: like it's almost not you know like we saw with meddy even you know like he mm. was changing so much different stuff it's like sometimes that's actually a curse
1: yeah it can be for sure if you don't know what you're kind of getting yourself into and you're not confident in your abilities of what you want you can definitely get spun out
0: and then there's pressure to, like, give feedback,
1: right? Yeah. So you can. don't even know what feedback yeah. you give. And just you just want to say something. Yeah, right? you oh, just it's do better, it. it. It's yeah. better. Yeah. Where then you get a little older and wiser and you're like, I couldn't feel anything. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. But yeah. when you're young, you think it's a bad thing because there was something changed. So it sh- it should change the way the bike is. So I'm just going to act like, oh, yeah, that seemed a little different over there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was better. And then you just get, <laughs> get them going down the wrong road. Like, it can be... You can open a big can of, of of worms by going down the bad the bad uh, side of testing for sure. And I've seen it, and honestly, I've been a part of it. But yeah. it's how I've learned to to be more vocal on what I really want, and then be confident in knowing the direction I'm taking them. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like when people complain about their bikes, when riders, like factory riders, complain about their bikes, they're really complaining about themselves, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, like they need to take more responsibility. And if I was a team manager or, or team owner, or anything. I would be huge on that like look on Tuesday you wanted this change so don't go badmouth our motorcycle on Saturday night because mm. it wasn't the right direction because you led us down that direction so we're all in it together like I just don't I can't stand when people badmouth their bike so much because you're in it together like yeah try and get it as best you can if it wasn't good on that night on that certain track okay that's fine but you don't have to make it vocal and how bad your bike is and this is the reason why and i i think riders need to take more responsibility for the way they've set up their motorcycle
0: dude nate ramsey was the one that i thought i assumed in my naive like didn't know anything when i went to america that like if you're on a factory team you knew what you were talking about as a rider in terms of testing and i remember like leaving the test track with nate dog and it'd just be like (laughs) he has no, no idea clue. like yeah. literally like yeah. no idea or i'd say something he's like you know more about the motorcycle than that dude yeah and that blew yeah. my mind and he said he's like dude there's probably 10 dudes yeah in the world that can actually test a motorcycle mm-hmm. and give legitimate feedback and i was like dude you have to be exaggerating like you must <laughs> be so exaggerating true. that there's 10 dudes he's like yeah. nah, there's there's no one. Like yeah. people really don't know. Yeah.
1: But then I also think it's the team's responsibility to the to relay that message to the rider that it's okay. Yeah. It's totally fine if you don't know what you're talking about. We don't if we put a slick on the rear and you can't even tell, that's okay. Yeah. Where you know what I mean? Like some riders just think they should be good at testing because yeah. they're a factory rider. So That's for the, sure true. The team should just say, Okay, we've got this guy that doesn't really know. Let's help him through the process. Let's not change a lot of stuff. Yeah. Let's kind of work him through it and then rather than just expect him to know and then because sometimes the teams can be like "Ah, oh, that guy's terrible at testing he this and that once again it's just like no you're in it together
0: is it like uh, do a lot of teams try and teach the riders how to test not really so you think that's like a bit of an issue yeah because yeah. it wouldn't be that hard to like teach somebody because like me and sleet had this conversation like I think it's kind of weird that but I, I get why it happens but like say you go to factory honda and mm-hmm. you go you're like oh, i'm thinking i'm gonna sign with the team they want to give you like the best shit day one like this is our sexual chocolate yeah. right now yeah. like you're riding the a team mm-hmm. and then it's like winning your first race like where do you go from there yeah like it can own like it how much better are they going to make that motorcycle like percentage points left or right yeah. better worse whereas it's like if, it, if you go... Like, that's what Todd did with his when he got on the Huskies. Mm-hmm. They sent him a stock bike. Yeah. And he just rode it yeah. for, like, months. And he wasn't... Granted, it was motocross. You sort of can't do that on Supercross. Mm-hmm. But he had a stock bike. And he's like, dude, I love this thing. Yeah. And then he knew the bike. And mm-hmm. then he got new forks and a new shock. And then he's like, mm, okay. I yeah. really know. Like, I can yeah. really tell. And he's like, he was stoked. Because he's like, that just made this thing, like, way better. Mm-hmm. And he there was, like, a positive attitude towards that yeah. change and he felt invested in that change and then you know he does all his own clickers and stuff like that mm-hmm. and that's like then they put an ignition on then they put a pipe on it's like in his head he's like dude this thing just keeps yeah, getting, getting better, better and, better, and better. better yeah whereas yeah that's not how it works it's like literally here's the stiffest mm-hmm. fastest beast machine that we can give you yeah and it's like then where do you go
1: yeah i actually agree with that what todd did i mean. I think it's great to start on a stock motorcycle, whether it's just in motocross or whatever. Um, When I found out I was going to ride for the factory team this year, it was going to be some logistical, like it was going to be tough to get a motorcycle in North Carolina. And I wanted to stay there. We had some stuff going on with family and stuff. So I wanted to stay there. It was like another three weeks. And then I was flying to California to test the factory bike. So I went and bought, the 2020s just came out. I went and bought a motorcycle off the showroom floor of a shop to ride it in stock form just to see. Yeah. And then I put Supercross suspension on it and some handlebars and a pipe and I motored that thing for two and a half weeks. And it was crazy. For one, I was nervous as heck going to the track. The first day I was gonna ride a stock bike. I hadn't ridden a stock bike in so long. And Isn't that crazy? So that, good. Like you're,
0: pay, you're you're paid to be a representative of yeah. Honda, yeah. And it's like what they're selling is yeah, the stock riding, bike. Yeah. Like you're not even riding yeah. what they're, they're selling.
1: Yeah, but yeah. like
0: you should have that experience. Totally, yeah. You're a salesman.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now that I have, like, I can't believe how good stock bikes are. Yeah, like, it blows my mind how good that thing was. I was telling Brent my mechanic, one day after we were riding. I was riding on supergoss, stock suspension, stock ignition. Stock, so, you rode
0: stock su- suspension on No,
1: supergoss suspension. Ah, uh, okay. But everything else was stock yep. except handlebars and, um, I mean, stock clamps, just everything uh, the stock linkage, all of it. And, um, it was awesome. Like, it was, of course, my factory bike is better, but like, you can take that motorcycle. And my exact words were, I could take this to Anaheim and do well on it right now. And, it's just, it's wild we live in a really cool time of how good the motorcycles are. It's not like it used to be where you have to be on works equipment or a factory bike to do well. Yeah. No. Nah. Like Eli Tomac could take a stock motorcycle with some suspension on it and do really really well. Yeah. And just like I said earlier the 15th place guy cannot get on a factory motorcycle and it's go gonna do what Eli's going to do. It's just it's not that way.
0: Are you better in your testing process now with your Honda because you spent those two and a half weeks on a stock bike?
1: I don't know if I could say I'm better. I mean, um, we definitely started more of just a base platform and um, because typically, you know, guys will cut the subframe and do a different linkage and then run some different offset clamps. I wanted to see what the bike was like just in stock trim as far as just the, the chassis and how that felt. So we pretty much started with that. Uh, when I started on the on the factory bike. I didn't start with a stock engine, but as far as uh, the chassis parts and stuff, we started pretty much stock.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you think that that then helped, like does that help the process to sort of go, instead of just dump, jumping straight to like, here's the mm-hmm. thing with all the fruit on it, we can change all these individual pieces as opposed to like, here it is stock and we can just slowly add things yeah. to it.
1: And then you grow with the team and the bike because then you can visually see Yep, this is better or yeah. on the stopwatch. Yep, that was better rather than just start out and be like, all right, well, so what do you guys have on the rear of that or hey, what yeah. what what'd we start with here? Well, let's go to this because we think this might be better. So yeah, it just gives you a solid base platform to start on. Yeah. And um, I think it helps everybody because then you can grow with the bike and you can grow with the team and the way you relay a message to the team. Every rider relays a message different. Yeah. Uh, different wording for it, so I think it helps everybody.
0: It's crazy to think that you're on the factory. Like you've, it's like just been this crazy slow mm-hmm. grind to now. It's like I know you've been on factory Honda before, but it's yeah. like you know three time Aussie champ. You mm-hmm. had your best season ever last year, and now it's like yeah, 2020 is going to be on like the factory. Team. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty cool. even the yeah. number 2020. Yeah. It's like oh you know back in Iowa 2020 bro you're gonna yeah. be you and yeah Roxen are gonna be like the two know, dudes on a factory Honda
1: yeah arguably the the pinnacle of the sport at 35 uh, years old maybe the oldest to ever sign a factory contract I don't know for sure but um I'm proud of that like yeah. I think it's cool when people talk about my age I think it's just motivation we were talking about last night how young Osby and and Jay Wilson are yeah. I'm like man they just seem like kids you know yeah And if they wanted to, they've got another 10 or 12 years to go. And it's just crazy to think that you can, or for me at at this age, to I guess still be doing what I'm doing because we're taught different in our industry and our sport that when you're 30, you are ancient. Like you need to get out. You're done. And now to be the oldest to ever win a race, win a Supercross. Now be on factory Honda at age 35 and doing it a different way. I don't know if factory Honda would sign a guy that says, Hey, I'm still going to Australia. Yeah. I still want to do a race or two in Europe and I'm doing super cost only for factory Honda. Like would anyone say that 10 years ago? No, nah. no way. That- so I feel like it's, it's pretty cool to, to know that it's working for me, but it's also working for a team like Honda that says, look, you're our salesperson globally and you winning Australia means a lot to us. You winning uh, the Geneva Supergross means a lot to us. Um, it means the most to us if you win over here. But, you know, we've, in their mind, they've kind of got Kenny for that. Yeah. And so if I can go win a race or two, awesome. Um, if I can help Kenny along the way achieve his goals and I achieve mine at the same time, and I've won Australia again, and I'm in Europe on a Honda, like it just, it all Makes a lot of sense, I think.
0: I just think it's funny too that, like you said, you know, like you're a guy that weren't really making any waves, you weren't doing any, like, you're not a loud, outspoken guy, you're not Mm. in everyone's face media wise. Like, you probably were like the dude that flew under the radar for just the longest time. (laughs) And now, really, if you look at the big picture of like what you've achieved over the last few years, the way that you've structured your deals, the now that you're on Factory Honda, like, Mm -hmm. you're like it's like a super influential dude like people are going to be trying to be like you now you know what I mean whereas like in 2012 like no one was trying to be like Justin Brayton and it's not a knock it's just Mm -hmm. the way it's like you said it's like this slow build to Mm -hmm. this thing now and all of a sudden it's like fuck Brayton's really like figured it out and I kind of want to do what he's doing
1: yeah and I get that a lot I've gotten a lot of phone calls from and agents and hey so how'd you do this or who'd you call and and I mentioned it uh, to you another time but it just, uh, I think we were talking about it last night I think I just timed it perfect with Honda because you have to have a manufacturer on board to support this sort of program so if a guy like, just say Dean Wilson wanted to do the exact same thing I'm doing I don't know if Husky is willing to spend the dollars to make it happen over here um, I got super lucky with Yariv and just Global Honda at, in 2016. They, they were just on this mission to kind of win everything globally. And even Australia meant a lot to them to win this series. And um, no, knock to Australian series, but most of the time they only care about the American supercar series. That's it. Well, yeah. Honda was different yeah. at that time. They're like, we, we want to win everything. Yep, man, that means a lot to us to go win Australia. And this year for the last round in Marvel Stadium, literally the boss of Honda is coming to an Australian Supercross to watch. And I think that's pretty cool. Like, that's awesome. And um, so, yeah, you just have to have the manufacturer. It has to be the right timing. Not everyone can just say or or like Barsha, if Barsha wanted to do this program next year it's really, really difficult because but I don't you know, know that teams is. on different gear. I don't know now yeah.
0: though, because you've done it like it might've been difficult for you because you were the first dude to do it. Yeah. But now I think the cell, like it's still hard to do, but like if it was Basha that was trying to do it and you'd never done it before, yeah, then it's like a sell. Yeah, but now, like it's saying. proof yeah. of concept, bro. Yeah, it like, actually works It worked. Yeah. It worked well.
1: Yeah. You just you'd have to have all your sponsors and a manufacturer on board. Yeah, which I see what you're saying. Like now, Honda has done it. Why wouldn't Yamaha do it? And because the, it the, works.
0: The thing is, too, is like if you didn't win last year, then it like the program's half validated. Yeah. But because you had your best season ever, and yeah. everyone has to go like. What happened here? Yeah, like, exactly. you know, because that would that was my thing. Like when you mm-hmm. started coming over and you were winning these races, I was like there's no nothing better than gate drops. Like yeah, there's no exactly. and I know we've got it's not the best series, the tracks aren't mm-hmm. always the best, the uh, what the guys here wouldn't go and win over there, but it's like the level's good. Like yeah. Luke I believe it's Luke really Cloud good. could yeah. go to a supercross on his exact four fifty mm-hmm. race bike and I he could put it in the top ten. I would, I think, on a good note. Yeah, he
1: would, he would do well. Yeah, and Reardon's obviously proved where he is. Meddy's one of the best in the world. Yeah, um, and then the tracks is the biggest thing, right? Like, so for me to separate myself on these tracks, it's really difficult. Yeah, and I think it's made me a better rider to try. Because you've like, got to find Gant- every tenth. Huh? I've got to find every tenth. Yeah. I mean, Brisbane indoor. For me to be, I think I was well. The over track was half a, a second. <laughs> yeah, but I was over half a second faster. Yeah, that in, is crazy. In uh, practice and in the in the mains and that was just I call it detailing the track. Like every little detail matters. This turn down here and that little rut that you're gonna grab here, it all matters. So I think that's made me a better rider to because the difference between me and Eli Tomac in the States or Ken Roxon is a few tenths. Yeah. Like it's not like it's three seconds. So if I can gain if I gain three or four tenths a lap over twenty minutes, like you there how many more seconds does that put me up you know that that helps me win Daytona yeah so I think that's what's helped me the most and then you talk about being in a vulnerable state I signed with factory Honda and then I still want to come over here if I come over here and get fourth imagine what that yeah. does not only to me but to like sponsors or so, that puts me in that state of, like we talked about James we'll and stuff earlier, like yeah. you have to, like you do not yeah. have a choice. <laughs> but in my mind, I kind of do now because I'm like, it's not going to define me if I, even if I'm on a factory Honda bike and I've signed with that team, it doesn't define me if I get third in an Australian supercross. I well, don't I want to. I because you know that it the, the guys are good too though. Yeah. Yeah. Like you But get I'm more level. saying the outside yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do the people in the States think about me? Yeah. So... But then it's also I realize that, and it's why I started training in June. I realize what it does for guys like Clout or Medi or Reardon or these other guys. Like, oh, he's on a factory Honda now. Watch this! They I'm gonna beat him. him. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I could just beat him one time, if I could just beat him two times, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I can just be faster than him in one practice. Yeah. So, from the time the green flag flies, the very first practice, of the very first lap. I know it's go time for yeah. me. And I, I love that, though. Like, I love that feeling. I love that pressure. So I kind of thrive on that.
0: Well, that's why I... Like, there's definitely a, an argument of people being like, whoa, we've got too many Americans over here. It's taken away from the Australian dudes. But, like, exactly that's what stupid. you just said yeah. is why we should have the best mm-hmm. dudes here. Because, yeah. dude, like, Cloudy, I'm freaking super proud of that kid. Mm-hmm. Like, he's come a long way in the yeah. last few years. Like, yeah. from even last year to now like he has made Mm -hmm. (laughs) huge improvements like massive massive leaps and it's like it's because that it's like dude Brayton's on a factory Honda he won Mm -hmm. a race in America last year if I can beat this dude like I can be that guy like that it's sort of it raises the ceiling but it also Mm -hmm. raises the intensity to like achieve it when you're sort of just here racing around in Australia and it's like it's like you're the king of Pooh Castle. Yeah. If there's no like, yeah. what's the yardstick, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's like a guy like you, and I think that at the start, you, maybe it wasn't even like you legitimized the series. You were just yeah, the, maybe, maybe not the, f- the first year. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think so. Like, I didn't, I didn't think like, oh, damn, Brayton's coming, man. Like, this yeah. is gonna, this is gonna make the series what it is. But I think mm-hmm. over time, with what you've achieved here. And then what you achieved in America. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah. this is really legitimate because I think that this series has made you better. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's made our guys better. And mm-hmm. it's like a rising to- tide floats all boats in, a, totally, in yeah. a sense, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I just think that guys like you are so necessary to raise up everything. Mm-hmm. And now you look at, like, could you imagine racing at Marvel Stadium the first year that you were here, the first gay yeah, job that exactly. you did, like yeah. that's a short time,
1: dude. It is.
0: Yeah. A really short time to mm. now have like, this is going to be the biggest, one of the biggest supercross races in the world. Yeah. In Melbourne.
1: Yeah. It's, it's super cool. And to grow along with it yeah, has been really cool. And then also if it was just like, let's just say I wasn't here. Maybe not many people pay attention to Luke or, yeah. or Dan or Brett, because it's like, They don't know how good they actually are where now when you look on paper and and cloudy's three tenths or four tenths
0: off of me it's like you can armchair race a bit eh? you
1: can armchair race a little bit and and the people at home teams and fans and everything can say man like those guys are legit because Justin did x y and z over here yeah so where would that put them and then also like you said gives them a measuring stick of for like cloudy who still has aspirations to come to america like man if I can just get that little closer, or 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 beat him, or, or yeah. whatever it is, like, and then the whole thing of Aussies not liking Americans come over, like, like we don't complain that Chad came over, yeah, we true. don't complain that Ken's over there, yeah, we, like Mar- like the list goes on and on and on, yeah, it only raises everybody's yeah. level, and I think the Australian fans and riders should be stoked, yeah, maybe they don't win the race or win the championship, but hey, the next year. Work harder, yeah. try harder, like and now the the 250 class over here, it's so fun to watch. It's so competitive right now. Yeah, dude. And a guy who, who's leading the championship, Aaron Tanti. Like, I would have never guessed that. He might have not, not have even guessed that. But how stoked is he right now? He's got the red plate going into round three, and yeah, the championship's close. But he can legitimately say that he's raced with these guys that have been on the podium in America. Yeah, maybe it gives him new hope or new aspirations to like hey I want to go over there you know maybe I'm better than I think I am or maybe these guys aren't as good as I thought they were so I think it only helps everybody
0: yeah no I'm I 100% agree Mm -hmm. is it crazy to watch the way that the AME boys have done the whole OzX Open in Sydney and then New Zealand and now New Zealand and and Melbourne like it must be pretty cool from your perspective as a rider and i know like how hard they work to make like you said last night they make you feel like you're one of the best dudes in the world yeah
1: yeah the way they go about it from top to bottom is just is first class um they're genuinely truly like fans of the sport and Mm. they ride like bailey will just be motoring on a saturday or sunday because he loves it and so they they just get it they get the sport they're trying to grow it i mean i know I probably only know one percent of what really goes on, but it is very, very difficult to put these events on. Yeah, and I've been a part of a lot of them around the world, and it's not easy. So for them to, not only financially, but just the time it takes to to do these events, it's awesome, and I, I just give them huge props. And now, like you said, not only New Zealand, but the one in Marvel, it's one of the biggest races in the world, and it's here in Australia. So that's pretty cool. It's been cool to be a part of it. They have included me, even though I do the series, they include me in on, you know, things, media stuff, uh, for those events, which they don't really have to, but I think it's cool that they do. And, um, yeah, Sando and and Bailey have really, they've, uh, grown to be friends like uh, of mine now. Like I would, I would call them a friend and, and it's really cool to see their passion for it and, um, just how much they genuinely care about how the whole event and, and the riders it's it's pretty impressive.
0: The the media stuff. Where are you at with the like the media side of things these days? Like, do you like how the media works in motocross? Or do you look at other sports and wish that it was more like that? Because obviously, like, I'm in a weird spot with it. I'm like got one foot in but one foot out. Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't really have to report on anything. I don't really have to. Yeah. Like, I'm not like Wygant or Mathers, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of still talking about it and people still listen. So it's like, for me, it's interesting. I'm like, I wonder what people like you even think of the media and where it should go. Is it good? Is it bad? Like, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I go in waves. It used to be my least favorite thing, to be honest. Like, I I love riding. I love racing. And that's what I want to do. That's what I signed up to do. That's what I did as a young kid. Now to go sign autographs and to live up to be a certain person was really difficult for me at first. Um, now that I've gotten older, I I kind of embrace it. I, I enjoy things like this. I enjoy um, tonight I'm doing a meet and greet at, a, at a, um, a car dealership. And Saturday I'm having dinner with some executives that are big fans and potentially want to be in the sport like so media stuff like that I I love where 5 years ago I didn't I just mm. straight up I just did not like it I wouldn't want to spend the time to do it because I felt like I had to just be in this mindset of training and riding and that's what I want to do. I don't care about the other stuff. See, so yeah, I like negative thoughts towards A little that. bit. Yeah. yeah. Where now I I just I get the whole picture. I get the whole where you kind of have to make everybody happy yeah. and these guys that like they want me to come there and meet some employees and they want me to meet you know certain people and these guys actually really want to go have dinner with me and yeah and i'm i really embrace that now like i i love that side of it and i think it's what separated me and helped my career be longer is my relationships it's why i'm on factory honda it's just straight up relationships um a little bit of results but I think it's more of the relationship that I've built answering your question about me like social media I go back and forth on that because for one I, I hate going into restaurants and seeing everyone on their phone yeah when there's four people at dinner six people at dinner and everyone's just on their phones I hate that
0: that's what was cool I thought about that last night because I had well I rode away and I like took my phone out of my pocket and I had like 50 messages yeah and I was like damn we act like no one looked at their phone last and night it's awesome which is it's rare awesome. though right? it's
1: super rare but then on the other side of it like the social media thing I honestly I wish I had someone just with me all the time that just videoed what I was doing and posted it for me yeah. but then it's not that genuine but at least people get to see what I'm doing because and I get on my wife on it f- about it all the time like she loves social media and posts what the kids are doing and posts like I love it after it's done like I love seeing those videos and stuff but in the middle of it I'm like babe we're at the park we're at the beach with the kids like let's just enjoy this like put your phone away Yeah. so it's it's really difficult because you're right like after it's done you're like like, oh
0: man like you can sit on the couch and watch the kids and you're like this is awesome that was so cool to see how happy they were yeah
1: so I go back and forth on it all the time, and I I, th- I think it'd be really cool p- for people to see my whole trip to Australia because there's a lot of Americans and and fans that don't really know what goes on. I'd love to video this whole trip one one year and like put it out there on social media. Yeah. Then again, it takes a lot of work, and you're vulnerable because you're got a camera in your face all the time. So yeah, I I, I really do go back and forth. I think it's a great time to follow people though and, and to be a fan of just anybody or any sport yeah. it's really cool because you get an inside look um, so yeah I, I'm I'm 50-50 on it I want to live my life and be able to be a good dad and a good husband and I feel like having my phone out all the time deters me from doing that Yeah. so it's almost like you have to have time like detach from it so there's tons of studies you know going on right now like yeah how many hour like screen time and like if we looked at our screen time after every day, it's an ugly number. Mine it's, was ugly yesterday, I yeah, can tell you that. It's an ugly number. But then again, it's like you do everything on your phone. So yeah. that's the hard part too is I'll just be checking emails or like there'll be some important stuff going on where and if I'm sitting in a chair, you know, twenty feet away from my wife, she might just think I'm on Instagram scrolling. Yeah. Or vice versa. Like I might just think she's been on Instagram for an hour. But she might be doing something really important. Yeah. Or same when you see people at dinner, it's like you can do everything on your phone. So you might have just closed a some business, and might have closed a million dollar deal on their phone, and you thought they were on Instagram. Yeah, dude. So it's like that it's really difficult
0: daily. Like that's yeah. one of my things with my girlfriend. Like she's like, get off your phone. I'm like. I'm literally emailing Red yeah, Bull right now, exactly like the, the boss. <laughs> and and it's it's like, so tough, though, huh? To yeah, like, you want to? You instantly think, like, oh,
1: get off your phone. You're on Instagram or you're on Twitter. You're, yeah, like, who cares about what those other people are doing? You're like, no, I'm actually just, yeah, just got a new sponsor for the show. Or you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a tough, tough thing to kind of walk.
0: But do you like how the sports covered though?
1: yeah i think it's getting better i think guys like you are awesome for it i think mathis is great for the sport uh, love him or hate him uh i like him i think it's awesome we kind of need a needs guy to like be that guy straight we, shooter we were talking about that last night it's just a good bad or indifferent i think he's a straight shooter and the people that don't like him probably don't like to hear the truth about them um so yeah i think he's great for the sport i, I like Weeds. we is one of my favorite guys um So yeah, and and then with the whole Moto Spy stuff, like that's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool to see the. I mean, I live it; I am in it. Yeah, but for guys like even my friends in Iowa to see stuff that other guys are doing, or see what I've been doing, or see what happened on a Tuesday afternoon at the test track, like I I think that's really cool. It's a good time to be alive. And remember back in the day, you cycle news or a magazine was the only way you could see really who won the race or so yeah it's it's a cool time to to be a fan of the sport to be in the sport but it's also the sponsors and teams there's it's more work as a rider there's more responsibility placed on the riders and teams now more than ever and I think that's why some of these guys are just done early and and, yeah uh, yeah, so it, it's because you have to do everything, right? Like you can't only get the results now. Yeah. Because there's there's 10 guys that are like me in the sport. We could list 10 that are kind of in that same. Look, you've got the, the big four or whatever. Yeah. And then you've got the next group of six or eight or maybe 10 of us. So how do you separate yourself to get that factory Honda ride over four other guys yeah. who might have got the same results or going to get the same results as you on the track how do you separate yourself so it, it's a, it's a tough time right now but um it's also a good time if you're if you know ways to build relationships and yeah um and separate yourself from that crowd
0: do you reckon that um like i love what ando's got going on with the whole team fried thing mm-hmm. like do you think that people like guys like him doing that sort of stuff pushes a sport forward in like pretty big leaps and bounds because like in the same way that like you're kind of pushing the boundaries with honda like this isn't mm-hmm. a generic thing for them this is like a new age deal that you've got and what ando is doing is like new age as well yeah. like i don't there seems like there's something going on at the moment where things are changing and, and do you think it's like it's just out of necessity like the sport needed to change and maybe like feld or whoever isn't going to change the schedule they're not going to change the formats they're not going to change this and that so it's like you guys are like finding your own ways to like impact the sport in the way that you wish that it would be
1: yeah i don't know for sure if it's like pushing the sport but it definitely the fan interaction is just next level right now with social media i mean i i don't follow jason's stuff super close but like dino yeah he's awesome on social media it's just it's it's awesome and i know the whole team fried thing like when they went to europe like that's that's so awesome Dude, for insane the eh? fans and and to see the interaction and that's a lot of work for jason probably a lot of money a lot of work so it's cool that he's doing that um yeah i just think it brings the fans closer to us yeah and that that's never bad like yeah. i think that's a total positive
0: what sports do you follow that you think do that well? Um, do you follow much other stuff?
1: I follow a lot of sports, but at a pretty big distance. Um, yeah, so I, you're I'm not a, like into it, into it. No, nah, not really. Since we've had kids, honestly, like I used to be a big football fan, baseball, yeah. basketball. I'd watch NASCAR watch every, every Sunday. I Man, I used to look forward to getting home on a Sunday and watching, turning NASCAR on and taking a nap on the couch and then watching the last 50 laps or whatever yeah now we can't do that like the the tv is pretty much on cartoons 24 7 and it's so hard to follow any sport because we're for one i've got to be in tune with my sport yeah and then i'm trying to be a good dad trying to be a good husband still want to be a good friend It and the day's gone yeah you know? and i'd rather spend my time doing those things than than following a sport closely but i i know enough about every sport not every sport because like rugby and, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that here yeah. like I don't know anything about but your but main sort of stuff back Main there. stuff I could definitely have a conversation conversation about all of it and have some knowledge about all of it yeah but to follow it day in and day out is yeah it's not me right now yeah that's fair.
0: <laughs> does yeah. that hold, like with your parents splitting up when you were young mm-hmm. has that played on your mind like when you're a
1: parent? for sure yeah 100 percent absolutely. And yeah, it, it weighs on me all the time, and, and I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that I spend the time. Like it's it's a really hard balance. I gotta admit, it's the hardest thing I do every day is to try and be the best at something at the highest level. I wanna yeah. be the, I wanna win races in supercross next year as a 35 year old, but also am a dad of two. I'm also a husband, and that's it's really really hard to find that because I know what some of the other guys are doing I know what it's like to be single and just train 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 ride 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 but also know the downside of that I know the mental fatigue I know all that so I'm balancing it better than ever but it's also a very difficult task to because I want to take my kids to school like I I want to be there for for everything they do you know yeah but my wife is really good at helping with that. Like she handles everything with the kids. Like it's like, she's a godsend. Like it was, it's been awesome, but I also don't want her to, right? Yeah. I want her to do her own thing too. And for me to spend time with the kids and know that I'm providing for them. Like when I leave for a weekend or sometimes I have to leave for a couple of weeks, it's only benefiting them as yeah. well as me
0: but that's hard like they don't understand that right. they don't
1: understand it no
0: because that's like that's just relationships in general i think like when yeah. you're because even for me like i put so much time into this thing mm-hmm. and it it's not only time physically of me like say being in the studio or being away on trips or like yeah that the physical time but it's like my headspace exactly is like constantly mm-hmm. in work like i can't I was fucking making notes at midnight last night. Like, I just... Normally, I sleep pretty good. Couldn't sleep last night. So, I got my phone out, and I'm, like, just trying to write down all... And it's all about work. And Mm -hmm. that's definitely hard. Like, I feel guilty to constantly put that much time, mental, like, mental equity into it. But then, at the same time, I'm thinking, like, well, this is, like, good for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, if if this is successful and this does well, then we all do well. And it's not just my relationship it's like my family it's like yeah. Mick it's like you know you just yeah. feel like I get that I'm putting so much time into this mm-hmm. but you feel like it's for this big picture but you sort of do have to balance that otherwise like, yeah. otherwise the family goes by the wayside it's like the people that you're doing yeah. it for they don't get mm-hmm. any of the rewards out of it yeah. and it's hard to find a good away.
1: spouse to understand that Yeah, because a lot of people don't ever find that passion either and that's what I try and teach my kids is this is it's it's absolute if I, if I could pick and I've told people this before, but if I could pick anything to do tomorrow morning and if I've got a billion dollars in the bank, I could pick anything. I would want to go ride motorcycles with <laughs> my buddies like I really would. And so to have that passion for something and to be able to live that out, it's something that I want to instill in my kids. It's something me and my wife talk about all the time and and to know, like, I'm teaching them through it. So if I'm gone yeah. for a couple of weeks or if I bring a trophy home, like, that's all my daughter wants now. Like, every time I leave, I have to bring a trophy that's home. That's so, so sick.
0: Um, well, it's cool she was on, like, the podium even. Yeah, she bought yeah. you the trophy. Yeah, right? that was right? super cool, yeah. What that did that feel
1: a, like? That was awesome. It, it's it's so funny because every time, like, across the finish line there, and my wife wasn't able to be there because she was, she was pretty sick. So her and my son weren't there. My friend Ford Dale brought my daughter down. And um first thing I thought of was like, oh, I want to bring Parker down. Like it wasn't how stoked I was to win the race. I want Parker to come down and like be able to hold the trophy with me or just see her face. Like and she's like, Daddy, you won. You won the race. Like, there's no feeling like that. I'm telling you. It's just it's such a cool feeling. And I hope that one day, and, and it's cool because I'm still doing it, right? Like at 35. If I was done when I was thirty, they would have never seen me race a motorcycle race yeah. ever. So it's cool to still be doing it and at a high level. And um but yeah, that's definitely a tough balance to but you have to find it, right? Like yeah, I'm a miserable person to be around if I'm not chasing goals and like if I'm just home twenty four seven and helping with the kids, like my wife wouldn't want to be with me. Yeah. You know, like she's so happy that I'm living out my passion. And she gets to raise our two kids and go along on this journey with me. Honestly, it's a dream. I, I we wake up daily, and for some reason, this trip has really hit home this year. I don't know if it's because it. Who knows when is our last? Um, you know, my daughter will be in school next year, so I don't know if we could come back or not. But she doesn't we need just, to go to school. So good. <laughs> yeah, she exactly. Can figure it, the first couple of years, you can figure yeah. it out. <laughs> but 10, 11, there's just 12. so much gratitude. <laughs> right now this year of just how like we're just so thankful yeah i mean we're staying on the beach in australia winning races at a high level on arguably the best team in the world factory honda in america we've got so many good friends like it's just you're almost just waiting for it to be stripped from you right so you want to it's like the the highs never last forever and the lows never last forever when you're on the highs like sometimes you don't enjoy them enough uh, or sometimes you enjoy them way too much and then yeah. you don't know what to do in the lows So in the lows I'm just we just kind of accept it and like we know it'll get better but now in the highs we're just it's not like we're jumping up and down high fiving but we just feel so much gratitude yeah towards just our our lives and what we're going through and it's it's a it's a special time right now
0: That's what one of the things where I feel like um, gratitude is the thing like that's the state that you should Mm -hmm. be in like when shit's going good it's not really you don't really want to be celebrating like celebrating isn't the state to exist in yeah like when you're winning say you're winning every weekend like Mm -hmm. that's not the thing you should be striving for because i've been feeling pretty grateful for a lot of stuff lately and i've been actively trying to chase that feeling of gratitude like Mm -hmm. when i have like even just yesterday i was having like the day before uh, like monday i had like a pretty shit day yeah and i was like i was like bummed on myself Mm -hmm. because it was very hard to see the forest for the trees even though you know what's there like yeah i was looking at the stats for the show for the month and it's been one of our best months ever Mm -hmm. and it was like that should be like I should be grateful for that I should be like yeah. I was super pumped that you were coming on the show this week mm-hmm. like it was a sick week yeah yet yeah, Monday I just felt like dog shit in it, yeah. and I'm just like fuck bro like yeah. you should be thankful and then yeah. it's like when you do come like you know getting dressed today like I was like pumped I'm like mm-hmm. today's gonna be a great day like I was yeah. thankful for it but it's like that's the state you need to be in but like it's really it's, it's hard it's to really like hard, yeah. force yourself into mm-hmm. that state
1: because you're always striving for better, right? But, and and what's a bad day? Like you said, you had a bad day. Like me and Jay Wilson went to visit uh, Children's Hospital in Brisbane the day before the race. Yeah, uh, a few weeks ago. Talk about a bad day. That's a bad day. You know, like that's. So you leave there feeling so much sadness, but then so much gratitude for what you for have. what I have. Yeah, and so yeah it's it's all relative right and yeah. when i'm having a bad day i'm just like mate just look in the mirror what is bad? like yeah. what's bad yeah like what's really bad you've you've got it okay you know that's, that's you've the, got it all right
0: that's the weird thing though is like nothing was bad it was just yeah. a
1: feeling that's like, where instagram and stuff is so bad now too yeah everybody's life looks amazing yeah it, like i can portray on instagram anything like yeah. i can portray that i'm flying private jets every weekend over here or flying on helicopters or and or last year I could have portrayed that but instead my wife's sick in the hospital with pneumonia and I've got bronchitis and the kids got the flu (laughs) but I could have done a post and been totally different yeah so that's what's tough was we always feel like the next person has it a little bit better yeah but then when you can portray on your show or I can talk to people about the relatability that we have to people in the lows or what is kind of really going on. Yeah. That's where people I think gravitate towards you or uh, towards the people on Instagram that are just real. Yeah. But for sure. And you in the dark times at night, you're scrolling like, man, this guy's doing this and this, Like, it can be tough.
0: Yeah. For sure. I think that there's just like a, everything, like if you're the kind of person that can work for yourself or be a racer or like it's such a double-edged sword because it like is, yeah. that drive like the drive that i have to do well in my life feels like such a fucking burden or <laughs> like it's i'm just yeah. i'm over it like, yeah. i'm like dude it's like i you just wish that you could be happier with not go, getting up like right mm-hmm. now i can't train jujitsu. i've been sick and like yeah. my schedule is just gnarly and i'm like so hard on myself Mm -hmm. and I and I tell myself like it's all right you've worked super hard you won two national titles this year like Mm -hmm. you're working on your business it's not like you're being lazy but like that feeling like deep inside you're just like so angry at Mm -hmm. yourself for like not being able to do the things like it's just that drive is just yeah no matter where you're at in your journey that drive makes you feel like you're not achieving anything
1: totally yeah. even when you are and it's like yeah. that's that's a
0: real bitch it's to a deal tough with. spot
1: for sure but i always go back to like i'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason mm. everything that's happened up until my up until now even the bad things like missing a full year due to a, a broken leg or like i've had some crazy stuff happen we all have every single one of them it's came out way better on yeah. the back end, every single time so why would it change now so, like, if I get injured or I get sick or something now, I just automatically go to, okay, it's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be focusing on something else right now, whether it's mindset or reading or taking my kids to the park or, like, there's always stuff you can do to make yourself better Yeah. in those situations. Like, just being at jujitsu, jitsu that's just one facet of yeah. your life, I believe. Yeah. So, what could make me a better person or what could make me better even as a fighter not just being on the mat or not. Okay, I'm going to read this book about positivity. I'm going to do this with my girlfriend. And like, I just think there's so much emotional stuff that you could do, you know, like outside of just the physical, like we're men. We want to, I want to do that hundred mile bike ride and I want to go do these 30 lap motos and I want to, you know, but that is only going to go so far. Yeah. If I can have a calm mind on the starting gate at Anaheim one, That'll go way further than if I've done 30 lappers or not. Yeah. So how am I going to achieve that by doing some mindset stuff? Dude. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I used to be the same way, but now I'm just like, I try and gravitate. So it's okay. This is, this gives me an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z different that normally I wouldn't because normally I'd be at the track Yeah. and normally I'd be on the bicycle. But since I can't today, since I've got a little injury or since I'm, I am sick Now I'm gonna focus on this different part of my life, yeah, and make that a little bit better. So that's kind of my mindset when stuff like that happens. What
0: was the first book that you read that got you into reading? Because there's everyone's got a book, Mm -hmm. I think, especially if you start reading like sort of later on. Yeah, that is like, damn! I think I should read now. Yeah, Uh,
1: it's a self coaching book. Um, I actually have it with me in my backpack. I carry it with me everywhere. It's kind of what started to make me aware of kind of like my childhood reflexes and um, just mindset stuff about anxiety and how anxiety and depression are linked. And um, I just like to pick it up every now and again and read a few pages. It's just self-coaching book. I honestly can't remember the exact... um, We'll post it. I'll get it off you and post it. I have it with me, so... Um, and then I just love, I love anything where I can learn different mindset stuff. Yeah. Um, I always travel with with two books, just in case one isn't kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not mean. feeling that yeah. one on a flight, so I read the other one. Yeah. And they're usually two kind of different types, because a lot of the mindset training too that I was doing early on, like you you only have. I always say you only have so many matches to burn in a day. Yeah. So after I've burnt, like if you have 10 matches to burn and I've burnt four on training and I've burnt three on my relationships and I've burnt a couple on being a dad, like I don't really have the mental space to try and dig into a book about, um, mindset or
0: something deep and heavy. Yeah.
1: Like you kind of have to be in the proper headspace for it. And then too much of it stresses me out because then I overthink it yeah so there's like such a fine yeah. balance but when I am ready for it I always have it with me and then I can absorb it and I might just do that once every two weeks it might yeah. be enough um so yeah that was the first one that was 2010 when I really started to kind of read books and um yeah I don't read a lot but there is you know people say oh, I don't have time for it well 10 minutes at night yeah. before you go to bed you could learn so much stuff yeah, I've you really, really started
0: making, like, my morning routine, like... Your way. it's You know what's funny, dude? I was thinking last night, and it, like, might sound a little bit arrogant in a way, but I think it's, like, important for people to hear. Like, my life is changing now mm-hmm. because of the podcast. Yeah. But it's not changing because of people paying attention to me and all these people listening and I'm making more money. Like, that's not what's changing. Mm-hmm. What's changing is, like, my level of discipline... Mm -hmm. and my work ethic and my appreciation for the people around me that help make things possible like i think i'm getting to be a better person because of all of the things that it takes to like make this happen yeah and in the part like so now i'm sort of at the point where it's like i can't even go to training like my days are so full that i can't go to training Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna have to start getting up at five being at training at five in the morning yeah which like i was adverse to like that i didn't Mm -hmm. want to do that and then it's like so then you become this guy that starts training at 5 a.m till 6 a.m and then you're going out and you're fucking choking people for an hour and then you get and you have a shower then you get a coffee then you read for 20 minutes and then and it's like you sort of watch yourself you watch yourself change and you're like damn you're starting to look like a person that people would talk about in like a yeah in like a motivational video but it's yeah. like you that's not what it is mm-hmm. What it, that's like a pure requirement now like yeah. the ball started rolling and this is what it requires to like because I want to keep training I do want to still read for 20 minutes a day mm-hmm. in the morning like that's my first thing I want to do I do want to do more podcasts than I've done I do want to put effort into editing like you yeah. want to do these things so it's like you all of a sudden your life starts to look like what a cliche successful yeah. person is but it's yeah. like it's almost reverse engineered to the way that you would think and I I don't know whether it sounds arrogant to say that but it's Not like all, no. I want people to understand that it's like what I've now started to see as success is only work mm-hmm. and just prioritizing and then like when something happens where you're like oh, I don't have time to go to the gym now. Well, you, dude, you do. You just, you have to get up like super yeah. early and like it fucking yeah. sucks. Yeah. But you're going to have to just be a savage. It's so
1: worth it when you're done. Yeah,
0: it feels so good. And like I'd and now I look at people like Jared Merrill from J-Star mm-hmm. and I'd look at him and I would be like, he's successful because he gets up at five and works out crazy and then he does this, this. And it's like, no, 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 like, all of that stuff happened because he was chasing success. Yeah. Like, he, that, that was his pursuit. Like, yeah. it wasn't success that made that stuff happen. Like, that's just what yeah. he was doing. But on the outside in, that's what it looks like. And you're yeah. like, people will go like, oh, well, I'm just not the kind of guy that's going to get up at five in the morning. And, you know, like yeah. people frame yeah. it so differently. But yeah. now, and then hanging out with guys like yourself and the guests that you talk mm-hmm. to, it's like, that's what, that's what this like success is derived from like it's not you don't just wake up and do that yeah yeah. it's It's like an ingredient for
1: sure yeah of success yeah
0: and it's i don't know that's been something i've been like thinking a lot about Mm -hmm. lately and it's like fuck man like this isn't this has just been right in front of me for a long time it's just i didn't get out of my own way enough to like actually do it and Mm -hmm. i didn't put the work in i didn't want it bad enough like you have to be super honest with yourself about why you're not whatever your version of successful is right Mm
1: -hmm. yeah you just hit on a a key thing of being um you know looking yourself in the mirror and being honest with yourself like that's that's a huge part of it right and if you're going to make all these excuses of i don't want to do this or don't want to do that and and a lot of it goes back to what you said of being a factory rider that's the same in every business or you want to be a successful businessman man and fly around in a private jet well guess what it takes to get there a lot of people wouldn't want to do it yeah and the you know the the ingredients to be a successful person or an athlete it's not all roses yeah it's a tough it's a tough deal but um it all pays off and we were talking this morning about parenting um there's not one parent that says how easy it was or yeah like, it's the same thing. It is tough, but it's so good. It's so fun. Same with business success or racing success. The process is, it's fun, but it's really, really hard. Yeah. And if you embrace that pain or if you embrace that kind of suffer, um, that's when I think you really start to come out as, as being successful or, or whatever you kind of equate success to be. Um, all of us equate it to be something different and uh, yeah I just I think it's cool when you really look at yourself in the mirror and say this is what it's going to take and I'm willing to do it and then you just get in the midst of it and then you're doing it and all of a sudden you're like wait I'm starting to be successful like I'm I, I just want to race I just did this or now I am going for my fourth Australian championship like that's crazy it all just seemed like it's happened but you know it took decisions it took a lot of hard work it took a lot of perseverance through injuries and sickness and it wasn't easy that's for sure but on the back end of it it's always so worth it
0: well man we're uh, just about done 3 hours oh wow and i appreciate every single minute of it <laughs> yeah, i really really enjoyed you coming on and i'm super glad just on a personal level that like we've connected now to where i can yeah, talk sure. to you like this you know yeah, i think you're awesome you're a valuable asset to anybody that would listen to you mm-hmm. um and if if your goal at some point was to be like nate dog you've definitely achieved that goal so yeah, I, think I appreciate it on that le- on that level of things you should be super proud of yourself and the, the yeah. dude that you are and the family that you've created and and um the vibe that you give people when you interact with them
1: awesome Thanks, man.
0: And we can Appreciate do this it. again whenever you want.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Let's do it. That's <laughs> sweet. Thanks, cool. bro. Thank you.
0: Awesome dude. Thanks yeah. so much, man. Absolutely. Hope you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Three hours for real.
0: Did you break? Yeah. Sonali huh. <clears throat>